and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I am your host on our journey through the movies out there that just need a little more love. In our movie tonight, uh, if I time this correctly, this will be our Halloween episode 2023. I always make it a point to have a fun horror movie on Halloween night and tonight's episode is no exception. We are going to be talking about the 1981 movie Dead and Buried, which is one of these movies I have been dying to cover on staff picks for a long time. In fact, I swear like four years ago, I plan to do this one because this is the absolute definition of an underrated and underloved horror movie. I swear to God. In fact, if you look at any list of underrated horror movies, this one almost always pops up. Always. It's the, it's one of those that's so, so commonly known as an underrated movie. I'm surprised it's still underrated, yet it still is. People don't know about it. So I am dying to talk about this one, this creepy little movie that'll just get under your skin and you'll never forget it. And my guest for this episode, uh, I've had him on the show before. He's a big horror movie fan, personal friend of mine. I think I've said this before. The only, I think maybe the only one or two of the staff picks guests who's ever actually been to my house lives very close to me. In fact, he was the guy who interviewed me on the 100th episode. So we're very good friends. I love talking to this guy about movies because he knows his stuff and we have a good chemistry together. So welcome back to the show, Christopher Charty. Hey, Mario. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's always an honor to be on, and especially uh, talking about horror movies. As you know, I, I love horror, so this should be a fun one. I, I completely agree. This is very underrated, um, and it fits into a, a pocket of horror that I really love, which is New England horror. Um, it, there's a couple of a couple of movies that would fit that bill, um, but we'll we'll get into that. Now, I know I, I have you on pretty much every October for Horror Month. What did we do last year? I've kind of forgotten. I think we did Someone's Watching Me. Someone's Watching Me, the John Carpenter movie. Okay, yeah. For people who are listening, go back and listen to that one. That Because that movie is a TV movie, it's not all that well known. It didn't get a whole lot of downloads, but it deserves it. So go listen to that one and go find some, Someone's Watching Me. That is a fantastic movie. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's another really underrated horror movie, and I think some people might kind of shy away from it because it's a TV movie. Mm -hmm. um, but to me, it doesn't really feel like one. I mean, it's John Carpenter first of all, so <laughs> it it's certainly one of the best TV movies I've ever seen. Yeah, and I'm I I've made it a point. I want to do more made-for-TV horror movies on staff picks, just because there's so many fun ones out there. Now I know I know you and I have talked about this. Are there other ones off the top of your head you would you enjoy? Oh boy. Well, uh, Duel is is kind of the granddaddy. I mean, that's that's also one of my favorite movies ever made. Mm -hmm. um, uh, a lot of these we've talked about. Don't go to sleep. Yes, that's the one I was hoping you were going to mention. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That's one of those where you watch it and go, I can't believe they did this on TV. <laughs> <laughs> like with. Kids potentially watching. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, there's a uh, made-for-TV horror movie called Don't Go to Sleep. came out in 84, 85, somewhere in there. I, I saw that movie the night that it aired, and I swear to God, I almost shit my pants. <laughs> I didn't see it, but I saw the ads because I never got that image. Well, I don't want to blow that, that one image. You know what I'm talking about. But I had nightmares about those commercials. <laughs> about the person in bed and yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah. 
So I've already booked Christopher here for my guest for Don't Go to Sleep. Whenever we get around to doing that one, because the problem is there's no decent copy of it. I think the only way to watch it is like an eighth generation VHS dub on YouTube. That's about it. Yeah, it's it's one of those movies that I'm surprised hasn't been picked up by one of these boutique labels. Uh, the Midnight Hour is another favorite of mine. And same deal. It's like, where, where is this on home media or home home video? Um Gosh, uh, I just saw one made for cable that was fantastic called um, Cast a Deadly Spell. Have you heard of this? I don't know that one. I'm taking notes, though. It's uh, it's kind of loosely based on Lovecraft to the point where the detective is actually named Lovecraft. <laughs> uh, it was just on the cusp of digital effects coming in. So I think pretty much everything is practical in it. This was early 90s. Um, and, uh, Fred Ward, Julianne Moore, um, there's a couple of other pretty decent stars in it and it was really, really good. Again, you can't buy it. Um, but that, that was, that was really, really good. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> there's one I just off the top of my head. I didn't plan to talk about this, but for people who like horror movies, go onto YouTube and just search made for TV horror movies from the eighties and nineties and even the seventies. It's it's a fun little treasure trove. And for every bad one you find, you'll find one good one. My wife and I just saw one the other night with Linda Carter from like 1982 called Hotline, where she's getting stalked by this serial killer. I keep meaning to watch that. Yeah, because I, I have that on my watch list somewhere. There, there, there's just dozens and dozens of these out there. Yeah, my wife watched that one and she's like, that was really good. And I'm like, yeah, how come more people don't know about the hotline? Like most people think Linda Carter just did like Wonder Woman and that was it. I'm like, she's probably got a bunch of good made for TV movies. Anyway, we're way off the subject. This, yeah. is, <laughs> this is what Chris and I do. We just talk about horror movies all the time. Yeah. I don't even think I mentioned Dark Knight of the Scarecrow. Did I? Well, yeah, but I already did that on Staff Pick, so I don't need to talk about that one. Every All of my listeners, of course, have already listened to that one and watched it. <laughs> we hope, yeah. Meaning about 10. I've got 10. <laughs> that's, well, that's another fantastic one. So, Okay, so back to the episode at hand, Dead and Buried. Oh, my goodness, this is a fun one. This is, and I know, I know that most of my listeners have not seen this movie. So we kind of have them right in the palm of our hands with this one. Like, I, I'm not entirely sure how, how much we want to turn the screw on them when we get to the, uh, the eyeball scene. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the uh, fulci scene as i put it in my notes <laughs> fulci loves his eyeball trauma yeah okay okay i have to give a disclaimer here i'll be very honest again i i, I pride myself on talking about horror movies for people that don't necessarily like horror movies i don't give you gore movies i don't hit you over the head with jump scare movies but this movie it's not especially gory it's not especially graphic it's more creepy than it is scary but it does have one of my least favorite things in the world, eyeball trauma. So I will throw, throw out that disclaimer right now. <laughs> just one scene, just one scene. And I have to say, I mean, the effects on this, when they are, when they do pop up, are pretty fantastic. And there's a couple of scenes here where after I watched the commentary track, I didn't know the extent of, of the effects work. I'm not going to blow too much up front, but um, we'll get to that. But, uh, of course, they were done by Stan Winston. 
Yeah, definitely we want to talk about that. Okay, let's go through all my pre-notes. That's the very last thing I want to talk about, Stan Winston, because I don't think people realize what a big deal he is and why this is such a significant movie just because he's involved. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, Dead and Buried, it's, uh, <laughs> again, this is a creep fest. I love creep fest. They where just something's wrong. It's a little paranoia movie. I'll give you the general outline of the movie, and you can decide if you want to continue to listen to this episode. It's a, a pretty straightforward little horror movie where tourists that visit this little town in New England called Potter's Bluff, every time a tourist comes into town, they are murdered. And a uh, local sheriff is trying to figure out what's going on, and it uh, spirals off into a direction you're not expecting it to go. And it's really creepy. That's all I can keep saying. It's the atmosphere, the story, the twists, the tone, the music. Almost everything about this movie works for me. And it shocks me when I learned this movie was like a huge flop, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the the budget was somewhere between five and six million. And the box office was about 216,000. <laughs> so... <laughs> How, how, Chris, how could a movie this good only make $216,000? I don't know. I mean, the thing bombed, too. So, <laughs> you know, it, it's, I, I don't understand. Uh, and, and this movie has a pedigree behind it, too, because Ron Chousset wrote it. Um, now, Dan O'Bannon is credited as a co-writer because they wrote Alien together, too. Um, but... Dan actually didn't have very much to do with it at all. Uh, he kind of was just a script doctor. Uh, but I, I watched an interview with him, and he also kind of touched on what you just said, where he said, if your horror film doesn't have atmosphere, it's probably not a very good horror film. And this movie is just dripping with atmosphere, um, from the cinematography by Steve Poster um, just to the, the location I guess this was all shot in Mendocino, California. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, atmosphere. I'm big on atmosphere, too, in horror. And, and this is one of the, the this might be one of the best I can think of. Um, uh, uh, something comparable. I don't know if you'd agree, because I don't think you're a big fan, is um, Let's Scare Jessica to Death. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I know that movie. Yeah, it's similar. Yeah, I, I that's one of my all time favorites. And, and this has a very, very similar feel and, and kind of look to it as well. I, okay, there's three movies that I have in my notes that I would compare this to. The first one is, it's kind of an obvious one. I'm kind of going to give the plot away. I apologize. I don't, I don't really think it's necessary to go into this movie blind. I think you'll enjoy it even if you kind of know how it plays out. So I'm going to spoil it a little bit. But Invasion of the Body Snatchers, I think, is an obvious comparison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, sure. And then, of course, The Wicker Man. There's a little of the Wicker Man in this where, <laughs> again, I, I feel bad spoiling stuff where the hero is unwittingly walked into a trap, which I'm always a sucker for. Mm -hmm. and, and it's very much like outsider horror. Yes, Like outsider. the guy walking into town and he does not belong there and something's off and you don't know what it is. And then they just, you know, lower the boom on you. Yeah. And here's the other one. Now this, this for some reason, this jumped out at me immediately and I'm surprised you didn't say it. A little horror movie set in a beach town with lots of mist and it's a fishing village. The Fog. That's the first thing that I think of when I think of this movie. Oh, oh totally. <laughs> as a, as a, one of the guys on Mystery Science Theater once said, uh, this movie has more fog in it than The Fog. <laughs> Remember that? <laughs> it does. I, I'm trying to think what movie is that. Uh, 
being from another planet maybe or something like that or or pod people or something oh pod people yeah yeah oh yeah i mean the fog how could you not think of the fog it wouldn't this would make a great double feature with that yeah and again this is why it astounds me this movie is not better known and i have a couple reasons or theories why i think it's not better known but it's made by the people or the producers or the writers who made alien it's got Stan Winston, we'll talk about him in a second, doing special effects, who, oh, I don't know, is maybe the greatest special effects artist of all time. <laughs> it's got Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka, which we'll be talking about him in a second. <laughs> and then, like, I remember seeing this movie for years. I'd go to the video store in the 80s, and I'd see it on the shelf. And the, the title, Dead and Buried, it's got a weird picture on the cover. It's like faces staring up from the ground. It just never drew my attention as a movie I'd want to see. I think maybe that's the problem. There's something in the marketing that's wrong. But this movie has such a pedigree. It's comparable to so many other great movies. It's just astounding that it's not mentioned in the same breath as all these. Yeah, and I think its reputation has been growing over the years a bit. But uh, I don't I don't really understand why either. I, I know there was a problem when they were putting it out because uh, Gary Sherman the director, he had a vision of this and he had made his cut. And then the studios kept getting, kept changing hands and they ended up with a third studio who decided to make all these cuts and they wanted to make it more violent. And um, he had actually envisioned this as a dark comedy. As a result, um, the, there's a sort of balancing act of tones in this movie and I think he intended it to be a little funnier than it is, but you can see glimpses of that, especially in Jack Albertson's performance. Yeah. Uh, I think he kind of kept that camp factor. Um, so maybe the tone was a little too muddled for people. Um, I know that they also had to, they kind of rearranged some scenes. So uh, the plot mechanics are a little off. Uh, and Gary Sherman said he, he was so upset about all of this that he kind of put the movie out of his mind for a long time. Hmm. Uh, but he's just now, or actually this was 20 years ago when he did this commentary, he said he was just then coming around to the fact that, yeah, this is a special little movie and it has a lot of fans. And uh, so I, I don't know. I mean, maybe those factors had something to do with it bombing, but I, I don't know. I, don't, I really don't know. I read one review online that said, and again, he said, I forget who it was. I feel bad. I'm not giving him credit, but he said, He's like, I can see why this movie never really gained much of an audience. He said, it's a little too plot heavy for a horror movie. It's it's kind of more of a mystery than a horror movie. Like, I kind of I kind of describe it as a Scooby-Doo mystery. Yeah, or, or like a Twilight Zone. Another reviewer compared it to that, too, and, and I can totally see that. Yeah, it's a Scooby-Doo mystery with eye trauma. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but well, yeah, he said it's a little too plot heavy for a horror movie. But if you like subtle humor, subtle horror, it's a little too graphic and violent. So it's kind of right there in the sweet spot where you don't really hit either one of the audiences. So there's probably something to that. But again, I've never met anybody who's seen this movie and doesn't like it. So it's like an instant classic. And it should be mentioned up there with like the Halloween and the fog and the, the thing from that era. And it just isn't. And it's just a shame that it's for whatever reason, some movies don't click with people the way that they should. Yeah, and and then I thought, well, maybe people thought that it, the plot was maybe too similar to The Wicker Man in a way. Um, but I know Gary Sherman said Gary Sherman said like he did not intend this to be even similar to Wicker Man at all. Hmm. 
um, and that he had seen Wicker Man when it came out, and he actually didn't think much of it, which is kind of crazy. But um, what a dick! <laughs> Sorry, that's just my all-time favorite horror movie. I had to say that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the Wicker Man is fantastic. Uh, it, it's definitely on my short list of, of greatest horror films. But um, I, I don't know. He said it wasn't a conscious thing that he decided to do this sort of outsider thing. And then, you know, at the end, there's this giant twist. And um, I, I don't know. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's unfathomable, unfathomable to me. And again, as we go through the plot of this movie, you're just going to hear Chris and I just gushing over how well done it is. There's almost there's maybe two little flaws I can pick out in the movie. They're nothing big, but it's like. How is this movie not as well known as A Nightmare on Elm Street? And I, the, maybe the title. I think the title. The title. I keep coming back to that. Dead and Buried. It's kind of a vague title. I think you could have called it Potter's Bluff or something. It might have been more interesting. I don't know. Just something I'm throwing out there. Yeah, it's a little bit generic, isn't it? It is. It's and movies, movies with generic titles always throw me off because I forget what they are. Well, and I think this is one reason why in the 70s especially – you had these genre movies coming out that had about four or five different titles. They kept trying to remarket them and redistribute them. And so they just kept trying different titles. Um, so maybe a, maybe a different title would have, would have made this fare a little better at the box office. I don't know. Yeah. 200,000. Again, that's how much money this movie made. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. So a couple other things we want to mention before we get into the plot of the movie. Um, one other thing is this movie was originally listed as one of these UK video nasties movies that were banned in England, which I find hilarious because I've seen so many movies that are so much more graphic than this one. Although admittedly there is eyeball trauma, which probably does it. But <laughs> again, it's just one scene. It's one moment. Close your eyes. You don't have to see it. Yeah. This is nothing compared to, to like a Fulci movie or, or a lot of those Italian directors, Deodato and all that. Like <laughs> if you think this movie's gory, I mean, Maybe horror is not for you. <laughs> like, anybody who thinks this is this is gory, just don't go, don't go further. <laughs> yeah. So the other thing, okay, two more things I want to talk about. Uh, the other one is Jack Albertson. We will talk about him a lot for people who don't know that name. That's uh, Grandpa Joe and Willy Wonka. Also in the uh, the Poseidon Adventure. Also in Chico and the Man, the sitcom. Lots of other things. Very well respected actor. Uh, just beloved for his Willy Wonka role in particular, although we'll get back to that. That's kind of a, a gray area, what we think of Grandpa <laughs> Joe these days. But Jack Albertson, beloved actor, really nice guy. Everyone loved him. And this is, if I recall, his last movie, correct? Yeah, yeah. And uh, in the doc, in the uh, commentary track, Gary Sherman was saying what an amazing guy he was. And they all knew he was ill uh, during the filming of the movie. And... Uh, uh, I'll probably get to this a little later, but there was actually a scene where he was having a hard time getting through and kind of dozing off. And yeah, so it's it, it was it was really sad. He actually died in post-production um, right after he had looped some of his lines for the movie. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really sad. Uh, he's he's one of the best parts of this movie. Oh, I think he's the best by far. Yeah, and, and and in the commentary, Sherman also said, like, this is Dobbs' film, really. This is about him and what he's doing to the town and everything. Um, and as I said before, he, he he's one of the last remnants of the, the straight-up, like, 
sort of comedic, darkly comedic tone that they intended this to have, too. He's, he's playing it a little broader than everybody else, um, but it works perfectly. It, at no time do I think, oh, this is this is way too over the top. Yeah, it's too bad after he died they couldn't just reanimate him. Yeah. It's <laughs> kind, of kind of weird, huh? <laughs> if only, if only they had someone that could perform that kind of black magic on his corpse. It is kind of eerie that his last movie is called Dead and Buried, and it's about reanimating the dead. Uh, it's just, that's just too strange. Yeah. As we go through the movie, we'll be talking about Jack Albertson a lot. I just straight up call him Grandpa Joe, and I always call this the evil Grandpa Joe movie, which I find so amusing that there's a movie where Grandpa Joe is fucking, like, reanimating people. First time I saw it, that's all I could think of, too. I was like, oh, it's Grandpa Joe. Wow. Whoa. This is weird. <laughs> Yeah, this motherfucker couldn't even stand in and out out of his bed, and now he's up running a town morgue? Look what happened. <laughs> All right, so so now we can talk about the big thing. Again, this is deadly serious on this next thing. Like, Stan Winston, I have to mention that name, because in the world of special effects, movie special effects, there's a couple big names. You got the Tom Savinis, you got the Ray Harryhausens, you got the uh, Rick Bakers. I know there's a couple I'm mentioning, I'm not remembering, but would I be out of line by saying Stan Winston may be the greatest special effect artist ever? He's, gosh, he's certainly on the short list. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I really like Rick Baker, too. So, and of course, Savini's done a bunch of great stuff. Um, Rob Bottin, too, you got to mention. It's hard. Um I feel like maybe Stan Winston is maybe the most legendary of all of them, though. That's just the impression I get. Yeah, I just wanted to fill people in on why we're mentioning him. So Stan Winston, I'm going to throw out a couple movies here. You may have heard of these special effects he's done. The Terminator movies. Oh, yeah, and Jurassic Park. He did the special effects in that. Also, Aliens and The Thing. So Stan Winston has done some really big special effects movies, really good effects that you still remember to this day. And this is one of his earlier movies. And I have to say the special effects he pulls off in this movie are unbelievable. So that's the number one thing besides this just being a good movie with a cool setting and just a cool story and evil grandpa Joe. This is a Stan Winston movie back when he was honing his craft, and it's really interesting to watch just for his effects. So that's the one thing for historians, film historians, and cinephiles. Think of this as a Stan Winston movie, and it, it suddenly becomes way more important than it should be. Yeah, and when I watched the commentary, and we'll get to those scenes, um, I actually was even more impressed by what he did, because there's stuff I, I didn't know was an effect. And this is what 1980 when this came out, 8081. I'm I'm just kind of astounded. Yeah, that's so. That's the thing. This is not just this typical little you know low budget slasher movie from the late 70s. This is this movie has a huge pedigree, and and it's really funny because there's like seven really good effects in this movie, and there's one shitty effect. <laughs> and it's really funny because that's the one that they tried to add in post-production after Winston was no longer on the movie. And you can really tell which one he did not do. And I didn't know that when I was watching it, just watching it again uh, for preparation for this podcast. And then you pointed it, pointed it out and I went back and watched it with the commentary track. And I was like, oh, yeah, because I, I noticed something was off with that scene. <laughs> 
And I didn't know why. I'm, I'm like, well, this is Stan Winston, right? And But now that I know to look for it, I'm like, oh, yeah. This is totally not the same quality as everything else in this movie. I'm going to steal yet another line from Mystery Science Theater. Special effects by Billy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's one scene the effects are so terrible. It literally looks like a seven-year-old kid is trying to do his first movie effect. Well, just one real brief thing I want to mention is that I love the score in this movie, too, uh, by Joe Renzetti. He did, I looked at his credits, he did a lot of other movies I like, too. He did Poltergeist 3, Child's Play, Frankenhooker, and he has this pedigree in popular music. Uh, he played guitar as a session musician for a bunch of big hits, and he arranged some songs like Sonny and Mandy. So I, I didn't know any of this until tonight. So, I, I, and I think the score of this is, this might be one of my favorite horror scores. Again, how did this movie not become a hit? I have no recollection. Or I have no idea. And to be honest, I never saw it for the first time until about four years ago. And that's only because uh, every uh, around Halloween, every October, I rent the or I pay for the Shudder channel on Amazon Prime. Shudder is a fantastic resource if you like old horror movies. And so I buy Shudder and then I just dig through there. And I remember hearing that this movie was always on underrated lists. And so I finally got around to watching it. And I'm like, that's a staff picks movie. That's one day that will be a staff picks movie. And again, it's I've only seen it like two or three times since. So I, this is not a movie I grew up with. I haven't seen a hundred times. And I think you're kind of in the same boat, right? Yeah. Uh, first time I saw it was the Aero Theater Horathon, which is a thing I go to every year in Santa Monica. I, I've been going for 12 years. I'd never heard of this movie before. I, I don't remember what year they showed this. This was probably, God, six, seven years ago now. And uh, I was like, wow, that is really, really cool. Um, and, yeah, I've seen it. This is this was my, I think, fourth time seeing it. Uh, I own the Blu-ray. But, um, yeah, I was looking for that, that, like, perfect time to revisit it. And, and this just ended up being that. So Excellent. And with that, I think we should finally delve into the plot of Dead and Buried and finally unleash this movie onto my listeners. Are you, are you ready for this one? Uh, I think I'm as ready as I'll ever be for evil Grandpa Joe. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. I just had a friend, Ryan, watch this movie yesterday for the first time. He heard I was going to do it on Staff Picks. And he wrote me. He's like, boy, that was a bleak little movie. And I'm like, that is the greatest compliment you could ever give me. Thank you so much for saying that about the horror movie I recommended. Yeah, I, I really need to give this. I have a bleak as hell tag on Letterboxd. And I didn't think about adding it, but I really should because it's just there's nothing really optimistic about this movie. The more you watch it and the more you think about it. Yeah, it gets even more bleak and more well done. So, OK, let's let we're, we're, we're teasing people too much. OK, so Dead and Buried opens and this is set in a town called Potter's Bluff, which I believe Rhode Island. Is that where it's supposed to be set? Yes, yes. Okay. It's a New England horror movie, although it's filmed in California. In fact, I just, I didn't even know it was filmed in California. I just had to look up where Mendocino is. And I'm like, oh, I got to go visit that. I want to go see Potter's Bluff. Although I won't tell people I'm a visitor. That's probably a good idea. <laughs> yeah, you might want to keep that under your hat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Potter's Bluff, Rhode Island. And the movie opens with this very peaceful musical score, this gentle little piano, this little fishing town, kind of like uh, the one in the birds. What's that? Bodega Bay. Is that, is that what it's called? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kind of like that. And it just starts little innocent, little 
drive, a visitor coming into town. He's a, a photographer, and he's really just here to take pictures of the beach. And it's, again, you see him just driving up into this little old Main Street district. And then he goes down to the beach, and there's all these abandoned fishing boats there and nets. Just a cute little place like uh, like Passamaquoddy and Pete's Dragon, if you remember your <laughs> Disney movies. <laughs> totally. Yeah, so I'll give it to you. What happens when our friend goes down to the beach? How, what, what adventures does he find? Well, uh, he finds this uh, rather attractive woman down there <laughs> uh, wearing a red blouse. And... Uh, <laughs> It kind of opens like an Italian horror movie because uh, all of a sudden he's just taking pictures of this woman and uh, and uh, she decides to open her blouse and uh, start teasing him and acting like they're going to, you know, get it on. But uh, she has other plans. <laughs> yeah, I should point out there's a little clue here. This is the, I like this, this movie because the more you watch it, the more you catch these little things where this woman is flirting with this photographer on the beach. She's a local. He's a visitor. And she says, uh, are you famous or are you on an assignment? Which you think is just casual small talk. But what she's discerning is, are you a stranger? Will you be missed if you die? So just, I just didn't notice that until this last viewing. I didn't notice that either. That's great. Yeah, so she's the bait, basically, correct? Yeah, I, I think it's fair to say, yeah. Yeah, so she gets topless and she says, uh, do you want me, Freddy? She, had, she has a name for him. She calls him Freddy. Do you want me? Do you want to have sex with me right here on the beach? And he's like, well, hell yeah. Yeah, his response cracks me up. He says, right here? <laughs> yes. And it starts off so innocent. It's just a light little sex romp. But things are not going to end well for Freddy because, again, when you're being used as bait, that, that there's something scary behind her that he doesn't know is there yet. Yeah. And what would that be? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> it's what I think you're referring to is a, a group of, uh, townspeople that are going to come and, uh, capture him and basically, uh, throw a net around him and set him on fire. <laughs> yes. The answer I was going for was the thing that is behind her is the entire town. Yeah, the entire town is there, and they grab Freddy. They start beating him with shovels and oars. They immediately break his kneecaps with a crowbar. He's screaming. They tie him up with a fishing net and tie him to a pole, and then one of them says, Welcome to Potter's Bluff. <laughs> and and in my notes I wrote, Is this you, Kaipa? <laughs> yes. Yeah, a good Southern California joke for my listeners who won't get it. Yeah, Yukaipa is... Uh, it's a scary place. I have Yukaipa stories. Well, not quite on this level, but, you know, going this way. Have you ever been murdered in Yukaipa? No, but I thought I was going to be. <laughs> well, did you try to do some girl on the beach in Yukaipa? Was that your problem? No, I was just driving around at two in the morning, uh, taking pictures of a statue in the middle of town. And this guy started running at my car and he yelled, get out of my town. This is 100 percent true. Okay, so it actually is very similar to this movie. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so yeah, so Freddie, our photographer, is tied to a fishing pole. The entire town is there, and in a ritual we will see repeated, repeat, we will see repeated throughout this movie. Everyone starts pulling out cameras and taking pictures of him, and he's screaming. He's saying, "Let me go, let me go!" And as they're beating him and taking pictures of him, someone pours gasoline on him and lights him on fire. So. That is our opening scene in this movie. Do not go to Potter's Bluff. They are not nice to tourists. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, so let's go. The next morning, uh, Freddie's body is found. The local sheriff, this guy's name is Dan Gillis, and he is really the hero of this movie. He's trying to uh, figure out what's going on. The next morning, they, defi- they find Freddie's body on the highway, but it's been staged. He's not burned alive. The, the townspeople have staged him in a way. Now, how have they staged him? Uh, they've put him in a car that's on fire to make it look like it was an accident. That's correct. Yeah, so they've made it look like an accident. They don't want this to, anyone to know that this is a murder. Yeah, and this is a common theme through this movie, the, these, these sort of staged deaths. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking if I'd seen this movie when I was a kid, how creeped out by this movie I would be. Where <laughs> Oh, God. A little town where anytime someone visits the town, all the locals murder him and then try to hide the body. Yeah, and and uh, we'll get into this more later, too. But Gary Sherman said that he really wanted this to be like every shot of this to be disorienting and uncomfortable. And uh, every time I watch this, I catch just new things about the way it's done. I mean, the way this car is set up and and especially this the shot at the end of this scene. I think you know what I'm talking about with the guy hanging upside down. Um, even the, the scene the previous scene with the guy, you know, the net the guy in the net being set on fire. That's a really, really creepy scene. Yeah. I was thinking you don't see too many people burned alive in comedies. (laughs) (laughs) Seems to be a horror movie trope. (laughs) Yeah. And and in fact, that reminded me of another of my favorite horror movies. um, Don't go in the house where I don't know if you've seen it. Have you? Yeah, I, I've saw it many years or a while ago. I don't remember, but I don't remember specifically which scene you're talking about. Oh, uh, well, I, there's a couple where he sets people on fire, <laughs> and it's uh, it's a little more a little more hardcore than this, I think. But um, yeah, the, I, I think they're comparable in in how uncomfortable they make make the audience. And I'll give a little disclaimer to my listeners: this is not the most unpleasant death in this movie. Not even close. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much. So here we go. So I love that we're giggling about this movie. This is such an unpleasant, uncomfortable movie, but it's I just love it. That's I I giggle about the horror movies that I love because they're so effective. That's that's my defense mechanism, I think. Yeah, I I think we kind of have to or else this would be a very bleak conversation. So, (laughs) I mean, but yeah, make no mistake. I, I adore this movie. This is this is one of my favorite horror movies. Okay, so Freddy the photographer is found dead in a car, and the sheriff comes and is trying to investigate, okay, what happened? Did this guy flip his car? Why is he burned alive? Why is his car burned? And as the sheriff is trying to figure out the clues, he's waiting for the local undertaker or coroner or mortician, whatever his name is. This is Dobbs. And as Chris pointed out, this is really the star of the movie. This is Jack Albertson. This is Grandpa Joe himself. And uh, the sheriff's waiting for Dobbs to arrive to announce a uh, cause of death or whatever, whatever. And uh, so describe Dobbs to someone who may have never seen him before. Uh, An eccentric old man, (laughs) basically. And uh, he uh, as he's driving up, he refuses to get out of the car until his big band music stops. And uh, and and I can't remember which character said, but uh, said this, but. He said, wow, talk about an entrance, because he, he comes in just blaring this big band music at the scene of this accident. Yeah, uh, one thing I want to say, if you have never seen this movie, so picture Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka. Now picture him 10 years older and maybe about half the size. 
And with half the hair, too. Half the hair, yeah. So in real <laughs> life, Jack Albertson had cancer. He was dying. So his appearance very much looks like an old man who's dying of cancer. And I'm not saying that to be disrespectful. Just Dobbs does not look like what you picture Jack Albertson looking like. He's much more frail, much more feeble. He's got these big, thick glasses that make his, his face look tiny. He's just an odd-looking, eccentric character. But he's the local mortician, and all the rest of the movie is going to go through him. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and it's it's I think it's perfect. Uh, his unfortunate appearance uh, is is it, it makes this movie even a little more creepier. If you know what he was going through and you know how hard a time he was having. Um, by all accounts, I've heard that he was just a pleasure to work with, though, and that he was really, really into this role and he was he was happy about it. So um, but yeah, it's. It adds an extra layer to this movie, I think. Well, I was just thinking of that as you were talking. And, like, I, I, I don't want to word this in a way that's disrespectful, but he looks like a dead man. And that really works with the story. And I hate to say that, but it really does in this particular movie. Yeah, it, it does. It, I know. I, know I, I, I don't really want to say that, but it, it's true. It, it, it just it adds an extra dimension to the, the horror of this. Okay, so Dobbs, the coroner, comes driving up, and he, eccentric guy, big hat, big bow tie, wears a flower, just a, the only comic relief in this movie, really. He's very goofy, very over the top, and the sheriff hates him. The sheriff's like, I hate this Dobbs, what an asshole, because Dobbs won't even, you know, investigate the body till his song is over in his car, and then he comes doddering out, and again, it's, it's kind of a dark comedy at this point, but it's going to get not funny real quick, because... As Dobbs is investigating the body, he's like, oh, this man was burned alive, blah, blah, blah. His face is all charred. You can only see his teeth and one eyeball. And Dobbs says, oh, well, his cause of death was. And this is where we get the moment that you talked about that's very jarring. And I always forget that, that it's here. What happens right before he announces the cause of death? Um, if I'm not mistaken, this is where the body's hanging upside down. Yeah, well, the body's hanging upside down in the car. Right. But the body does something to prove that maybe it's not quite dead yet. Yeah, its jaw lowers and it lets out this just <laughs> blood-curdling scream. <laughs> yes, I forgot about this part when I was watching this. Like, oh my god! I said, this is this is more hardcore than I remembered, actually. Yeah, and that's actually again maybe the only jump scare in the movie, really. And even if I know this movie, I kind of forget that scream is coming, where this charred corpse just lowers its mouth the best that it can and screams, and it's like, whoa, that's quite a little opening. Yeah, and and of course the effect is 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 really great too, the makeup work. Yeah. So what we're gonna find out is that Freddy, the photographer who came into town and was burned alive, didn't quite die, and that's gonna be a big problem because it's gonna unravel a secret about this town eventually. So uh, yada, yada, we'll go to the next morning. Now the sheriff's in the coffee shop. And again, there's only like 100 people in this town. It's very small. So everyone in this town knows each other. And the sheriff's in the coffee shop the next morning. And it's the talk of the coffee shop. Like, who is this guy that died last night? And I think if I recall, they're kind of teasing him because he hasn't been able to figure out what happened yet. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a very strange town. And uh, again, like I said, Sherman tried to film this and all the actors in a way that you're just constantly uncomfortable and you don't know why. Mm -hmm. And scenes like this where he goes to this, this restaurant, uh, it's, there's a ton of little moments like this in the movie uh, where you just know something is wrong and you're not sure. 
and everybody's kind of acting like almost like aliens, but kind of maybe more subtle than that. Um, and uh, I, I got to mention Barry Corbin, character actor, is in this scene. He's uh, one of the bit players in this. And also Ron Shusette's uh, wife, Linda Shusette, is the waitress. So that's kind of cool. You know, you are completely skipping over the biggest name in the scene. Are you doing that on purpose? Uh, are you talking about Robert Englund? Yeah. For people who have never seen this movie, you know, one of the villagers is played by Robert Englund three years before he was Freddy Krueger. And it's very jarring to see him just walking around as just a normal dude. <laughs> but yeah, so yet another reason why this movie should be better known. Oh, yeah, Freddy Krueger's in it. Yep. Uh, I will say that uh, it, when I first started watching this again, I was like, oh, he's playing a decent guy for once. Because I had forgotten <laughs> a lot of the plot elements. Um, I always think of him in uh, uh, Eaten Alive, where he plays a real, real scumbag in that. Uh, so he just... He just got typecast. He just, you know, everything he did. <laughs> just, yeah, once you kill a couple hundred children, you get typecast. They never let you live that down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Robert England plays the tow truck driver in the town. I forget his name. He's not super important, but it is funny to see him popping up. And all the townspeople are kind of teasing the sheriff. And we kind of learn everyone here has lived here since birth, except the sheriff, Sheriff Gillis, who left. And I believe he got like a master's degree. He's like Ivy League educated. He's very smart. But he left and now he came back. So I think if I recall, he's only recently come back to this town to come back to where he grew up. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I didn't really catch the the, the details of that. But um, we should mention this is James Ferentino, too. And I think he's I think he's really good in this movie. Yeah, no, I, I agree. He's very strong. I don't know him from any other movies, but yeah, he's he's a very good lead in this. But there is an element to this movie that he is also kind of an outsider because he left and came back, which you get the sense has not happened a lot in Potter's Bluff. And they, they kind of look down their noses at him because you think you're better than us because you're all educated. But he is very much an outsider, which ties into the plot nicely later. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Okay, so, yeah, so he has not figured out the how this guy died on the, in the car, how Freddy the photographer, why his body was there in the road. Right now he's at the hospital, he's in a coma, and everyone's asking, is he going to survive? And again, if you know the, what's going on in this movie, that takes on a whole different tone when they're trying to fish for answers. Yeah, well, and there's a big giveaway in this scene, too, because we see the waitress who was in the first scene, who was one of the people that uh, killed the photographer. Yeah, she's the one, if I recall, she lights the match that sets him on fire. And then in this scene, you see her serving the sheriff like his breakfast coffee. Yeah, and they make a big sort of deal of every time someone shows up in this movie that is bad, there's a, there's a little beat or a little score hit that kind of underscores, oh, yeah, we saw them earlier and they were doing some bad stuff. Yeah, okay, so let's uh, fast forward a little. So the next scene is we're going to get murder number two. Now, there's two scenes in this movie I don't like. This is one of the two because it goes on way too long. Well, and there there, there may be a reason for that. I'll, I'll get to that. Okay, so to put a, paint a picture for people, uh, it's a sailor who has sailed into town. He's landed his boat. He's wandered off in onto the beach, and it's like late at night, and it's all foggy. Again, think of the John Carpenter movie, The Fog. That's what it's like. And he's just wandering around and drinking and monologuing and, and doing shtick, and he's looking for a bar. And we get about five minutes of him just wandering around, just doing inane shit that I don't care about. 
But then at a certain point, the townspeople surround him like they surrounded the photographer and they grab all their weapons and someone takes a spear gun and starts just pounding on him and killing him. So the same thing that happened to the same guy, to the photographer, the villagers take the picture of him. All of them have cameras. They're taking his picture and then they kill him. So it's, it's just a, 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 a rerun of what we saw in the first scene, basically. I kind of love this character, though, because he, he he seems like he just walked out of the Pirates of the Caribbean ride or something. Like he's got he's got that sort of voice actor quality to him. But you're right, because this was a scene added in post-production when ah. the studio, yeah, the studio wanted more violence. Um, so and they basically gave Gary Sherman an ultimatum. They said, either you add a couple more violent scenes or we're going to do them for you. So he said, well, let me do it. I'd rather do it. It's my movie. So, um, OK, yeah. So, so that's why it feels a little odd. Yeah, I can forgive it. This is this very much feels like the old studio saying we need more death. This is literally like in uh, Friday the 13th Part 5 when they introduce someone just to die. That's the only reason that they exist in the movie. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's been two murders, and now a second guy has been killed. And so now we go to the sheriff going to the coroner's office, to Dobbs' office, to Jack Albertson. One of my favorite scenes in this movie. In fact, I love any scene where the two of them interact. This is their first meeting where... The sheriff goes to talk to Dobbs about the murdered photographer they found in the car. And we learn some of Dobbs' little quirks. Now, do you want to describe Dobbs' office to people? Um, you're probably better at that than I am. <laughs> oh, Chris didn't take notes. That's uh, shorthand for Oh, I have tons of notes here. Yeah, I know. Just... You just don't know what I'm looking for. Okay, so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so what happens uh, is the sheriff shows up in Dobbs' office. And Dobbs, like, is always playing classical music. And and uh, what is this? There's a whole little thing in here where Dobbs starts bragging about what a good makeup artist he is, how he's an artist. Like, you know, most people, when they're morticians, they just deal with death. But I'm an artist. Yeah, this is an art. And I am an artist. Yeah, I have that in my notes. <laughs> so here it is. So, yeah, so the sheriff is seeing the dead body that Dobbs is working on. He says, wow, that's really good. You made her look lifelike again. And I wrote this all down. This is a great quote. Dobbs says, oh, officer, this is child's play. I've replaced missing eyeballs with sawdust, glued the lids together. I've used bent aluminum cones for dentures. I've used the back part of the scalp when there was no front part. And I folded one hand over wadded up newspapers when the other hand had no fingers. And the sheriff's just kind of looking at him like, OK. And Dobbs is like, you find all this obscene, sheriff? Well, you know what's obscene? This is art, and I am an artist. What can you remember about a sealed casket? That is obscene. Well, and you know what the most obscene thing is that he did? What? He stole fizzy lifting drinks. He did. That motherfucker stole fizzy <laughs> lifting drinks. He almost got Charlie thrown out of the contest. <laughs> this sick son of a bitch has the nerve to come and be a town's mortician. And yeah... <laughs> That poor mother was slaving over those four grandparents in that bed and Charlie for years. Grandpa Joe could have helped out. He jumps up like nothing happened, and now he's a mortician. That fuck. Yeah, if you if you view this as a sequel to Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, it's it's on a whole other level. <laughs> okay, I got to say, my daughter pointed this out to me years ago, that there's this huge thing now on the Internet that there's all these memes about how Grandpa Joe is the worst person ever. The worst human being alive for what he did to that mom. He made her wait on her on, on him. And then suddenly when there's a chocolate factory to her, now I can walk again. <laughs> yeah. 
Anyway, my daughter pointed that out, that it's a huge thing on the internet for it's very trendy to hate Grandpa Joe. So if you hate Grandpa Joe, you will hate him even more in this movie. <laughs> yeah, although my daughter has pointed out that Charlie's even worse when you think about it. So. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, Grandpa Joe and Charlie, what they did to that poor mom who had the chance to go to a chocolate factory with her beloved son she has supported for years. <laughs> Charlie's like, how about I take this dead guy from the bed who does nothing? I think I'd like to him to be my chaperone, my loved one. Uh, I'll, I'll have to watch it uh, through that prism next time, but I never really thought about that. All right. I hate that we've ruined the sanctity of Dobbs' speech about putting makeup on dead bodies. <laughs> but yeah, to get back to the movie, so Dobbs is an artist. He loves his art. He considers himself an artist more than a mortician. The thing he hates more in, than anything else in the world is a closed casket funeral because then they can't see what he's done to the body to make it look realistic again. And this is where we're going to go with this movie later. I'll spoil it a little bit that Dobbs enjoys reanimating corpses and making them look real. So that's where we're going with the rest of this movie. Yeah, and I I think this is the scene where where the sheriff starts to suspect that something's going on. And he just he can't put his finger on what. Yeah, he doesn't know. He, something was wrong with that car accident. And he, he starts to mention it to Dobbs here. He's like, you know, Dobbs, I'd like your professional opinion on something as a, a, a an expert on death. And Dobbs is like, okay, shoot. And he's like, the sheriff is like, is it possible that that man was burned alive before he was put in the car? He kind of knows. Something about that scene didn't look right. It looked staged. And again, he's Ivy Lee. He's a big, smart sheriff. He's figured this out. And Dobbs is like, well, I have no reason to doubt it. And this conversation is going to go further. But if I recall, there's a phone call here and the sheriff gets called away to go to investigate the body of the dead fisherman. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and I want to say that, like, Jack Albertson plays this so well. I don't think he really gives anything away. I mean, there's little moments like there's a scene later where he kind of smirks when the sheriff walks away. But but it's real, real subtle. Um, I, 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 I almost forget every time I watch this how he's kind of, this is all his doing, really. Yeah, and I, I was I was thinking the same thing. I kind of forget some of the smaller details of this movie, but I think that's because you and I didn't grow up watching this movie a hundred times like we did, like, Halloween. That could be it, yeah. Yeah, I know every beat in Halloween. I know exactly when every, I don't even need to take notes for that movie. I could do a podcast on it right now. But this movie's a little different because I've only seen it a couple times and not until it was already 40 years old. So, yeah, yeah I, I'm not to the point where I know every little nuance from Jack Albertson's performance yet. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the end scene. So there's been two murders in this town and the sheriff investigates the second one and he's like, well... There's no doubt about this one. This one was a murder, as we see the fisherman with, like, poles and stuff sticking out of his body. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't take the time to stage that one. Yeah. <laughs> so now he knows there's two murders in the town, and he tells Dobbs again, I think that first one was a murder, too, and I think someone's trying to hide it, and I'm going to get to the bottom of this. So this next part of the movie is where he starts to investigate it, and he goes to the local hotel. Yeah, and I have to say I really love this actor. Um I will say I think that this performance is also one of the campier ones. Um, I, his actor's name is Macon McCallman. Uh, he was actually in Deliverance. Oh, wow. And uh, he did a lot of TV work. But his accent is kind of funny. Um, and I, I mean, he, I, I think he fully understood what he was doing. He was, and he was going for a, a certain kind of Eastern accent. But he's playing it a little funny. Um, but I, 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 this guy is so much fun to watch. 
Well, okay, this is this raises an interesting question, and this is not even in my notes. It just comes up as you're mentioning. You're mentioning a lot of the people in the movie are acting oddly. They're just a little bit off, and you can't really tell why. Mm-hmm. And I'll spoil this for you. It's because they're not human. They're all reanimated zombies. So it's, obviously they're a little off. But it makes me wonder how much of this movie is the town leading the sheriff into a trap or them just behaving normally as oddly constructed non-humans. Like, how much of this ending, as we get towards later in the movie, is planned? That's a question I'm just coming up with right now in my head. Yeah, I was thinking about that today, too. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure what it's supposed to be. Yeah, and I don't think there's an answer. I'm not sure I'm not sure we're supposed to know. It's just the more I watch this movie, the more I think about that. How much of this is actually a well-designed trap a la Arlington Road or something like that? Which actually makes it even creepier, I think. Uh, not the not knowing, you know. Yeah, I I agree. It's that's why I said the more I watch this movie, the more I like it. Yeah. Okay, so he goes to the inn. He interviews around. Is there who is this photographer that was found dead? Why did people kill him? What's going on? And the innkeeper says, "Well, I'll show you his room. We'll go upstairs. They go up and see the room, and there's all these photography books. And he's like, uh, all there's here, all that's here is photography books. There's no ID or anything. Like." Who is this guy? And the innkeeper goes, oh, well, you know, <laughs> by the way, if you want to know more about this photographer, ask your wife because she comes and visits him all the time. And the sheriff's like, wait, what? <laughs> I forgot about the wife. She's very important to this movie. Yeah. And the way he says that line just kills me, too. <laughs> the weird accent he has for this character. You could tell this is like a like a character actor and he did a lot of stage work. But he, he sticks out to me in this movie I, I, in a good way. Yeah. But anyway, the, the bigger picture in the plot of the movie is that the wife is going to be on in this in on this conspiracy too, the sheriff's wife. And we're going to get a lot of her. And again, I completely forgot she's such a big part of this movie, but she's like maybe the third biggest star in this movie. I forgot about her. Yeah. Uh, uh, Melody, Melody Anderson. Yeah. Yeah, Melody, I don't know much about her. I just, the more I watch this movie, I'm like, oh yeah, she's very important. Okay. Well, she went from Flash Gordon to this. Which is kind of interesting. It's a natural progression, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay, so now the sheriff is investigating these murders. He's been told, oh, yeah, your wife knew this dead photographer. Go talk to your wife. He's going to do that. But before we get to that, we're only on page three of my notes. It's time for some good old-fashioned eyeball trauma. <laughs> and I, oh, yeah. This is going to be one of my least favorite slash most favorite scenes ever to describe on staff picks. And I hate what I'm about to do to you guys. Chris, I'll let you set this one up. So we're going to the hospital. This is Freddy, the photographer who very, very nearly died at the start of the movie, was set on fire. He is now a poor, tortured soul in the hospital. And I'll, I'll set the scene for you. Kind of lead us into this one. Well, he's completely wrapped in bandages, uh, except for his eyes uh, and his mouth. One eye. Yeah, yeah, that's right. One eye. Um, and I have to mention, as we're describing this, and I didn't know this until I watched the commentary, this is a fully reticulated dummy. That is not a person in any of those shots. Yeah, that is unbelievable. That is such a good effect. Like you said, you don't even know that's an effect. It, it's incredible. I, I, I was just, <laughs> I was dumbfounded when I found that out. Yeah, I just want to put this into perspective for people who are listening. Freddie is a comatose patient, and he's a man under bandages. And the entire image, the visual of him under bandages, just with his eyeball and his mouth, open under you can see them through the hole 
I didn't realize that's all a, a dummy under that. It's all like a, yeah, like you said, an articulated uh, uh, robot or, or dummy. It looks so realistic. You have no concept that's not a real person in there. It, it's fantastic. Um, and, yeah, he's just he's just laying there. And then a nurse comes in, and, boy, she looks familiar. Yeah, for those who are paying attention, he, she was the, the blonde woman at the start who he was taking naked pictures of and was about to have sex with on the beach. She shows up as his nurse when no other doctors are around because guess what? We got to finish Freddie off. There's no way he can be allowed to to talk to the cops about who t attacked him. Yeah. <laughs> In comes this blonde woman into his hospital room and you just see Freddie's eyeball open wide. Again, he's on so many drugs he can't move he's like paralyzed almost he's helpless and he sees the blonde woman come in and he knows she's the one that tried to burn him alive and you just see this terror in his eyes uh-oh she's here to finish the job and that's the thing about the scene he's helpless he can't move she can do anything to this guy and oh boy is she about to <laughs> so what 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 does she pull out uh a syringe now would this be a normal sized syringe perhaps a small child sized syringe no, this is a pretty effing big syringe. <laughs> yeah, this is the biggest syringe you've ever seen in your life, she pulls out. I mean, it's a good foot, foot and a half long, maybe. It's like a Subway sandwich. You got to wonder if this is part of the dark comedy that they were talking about before. Uh, that this this is maybe it's supposed to be a comically large syringe. I don't uh, know. But it's, it's not funny for long, though. Yeah, this is again. It's this is a tough one to watch. It's even if I know this was coming, I'll probably close my eyes. Even though it's when it, when they explain how they did the shot, it's way less disgusting. It's actually kind of cool how they do this. But yeah, she pulls out this syringe and she loads some kind of poison into it and she holds it up and you just see it. Point of view of Freddie's one helpless, paralyzed eyeball staring up at her in terror, and you think there might be a delay. Like, they might milk it and hold the, the shot for a couple seconds before she plunges it in. But no, it's going right in. And isn't there a really, like, squishy sound effect, too, when they do that? Of I, course. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a rough scene to watch. And again, I do not like eyeball trauma. That is the, that is like a one hard-in-line rule, rule that I, on staff picks, I won't do those zombie movies where they love attacking people's eyeballs, but... This one is so quick, and it's such an interesting effect when you learn how they do it later, how Stan Winston did it. Now, did you read up on how they did that effect? The, the stabbing? No, I, I didn't. They did it backwards. Oh, okay. They start the scene with her holding the syringe down in the eyeball of the articulated robot or whatever, and she just pulls it up, and they reverse the film. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's, it's so simple. And it's, it's really easy if you look at it like, oh, yeah, that was a but it's just a really cool practical effect. And again, this isn't an era when they weren't really pulling off effects like this in horror movies much like this is only a year after Friday the 13th or so or two years. Like we're really pushing the boundaries of what you can do in movies. So this eye <laughs> hypodermic to the eyeball. This is an infamous moment here. <laughs> yeah. And Gary Sherman said that, you know, there was never a question like he wanted Stan Winston to work on this movie. He, he said, I thought he was the best in the business and, and that's what he wanted. And, and, and he got it, I think. Well, yeah, and the the fact that you don't even realize that's not a real person in the bandages, that that is the real mark. Now, again, Dobbs thinks he's an artist. No, Stan Winston is an artist. You don't even realize that's not a real person in those bandages. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, when I, when I watched this the other night, 
uh, when, I, when I rewatched it, and then I watched it with the commentary. I just because the, the first time was like, oh yeah, I remember this scene. This is God. How did they do this? Is that is that a real person? And then when I watched the commentary and found out it was a complete dummy, I just I, my my respect and admiration for this went even further up. It, it's just an amazing scene. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I love Friday the 13th. I love Tom Savini, but I think the effects in this are better. Like, I think Winston was doing more interesting stuff than Savini was at this point. It's, I mean, but it's more subtle. You don't even realize it's an effect half the time. I think I would agree with you. And I, I think there was, um, I think Winston's work, uh, he he had a more of a range to what mm-hmm. he was doing, too. I mean, there's there's a lot of different shots, a lot of different approaches he's taking in this movie. Um, we'll get to some some more later. Um, yeah, I, I think I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, I, again, no disrespect to Tom Savini, but he's doing horror movies his entire life. Stan Winston's eventually doing Jurassic Park. Like, that's a huge leap in what type of movies you're being hired for. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're going way long on this podcast. I'm only on four pages of my note. Okay, we're going to skip. Yeah, we're going to skip forward here, so... I promise that's the last eyeball trauma. That's the most disgusting effect in this movie. We're past it. You can, you can, you can unclench now. We're, we're good. So that night Dobbs, the, the coroner, he's very upset because, uh, what is it? The, the sheriff wants to bury the fisherman in a closed casket and Dobbs is like, it. he goes, that's an offense to me. You have to let me put, touch up the body. So again, they're hinting that Dobbs loves the hint, the, the, the touching up of the bodies. Uh, I'm going to whip through a real quick scene here where, the sheriff goes home to talk to his wife and he's trying to figure out how did you know the photographer? And she's like, Oh, I just know him. Cause he sells photography equipment to our school. She's a school teacher, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. She's a school teacher. Yeah. So he just talks to his wife. She's like, Oh, I just, I, I bought photography equipment for him for, from him for the school. So it's kind of, he puts aside his suspicions for now. And now we're going to get the second scene in this movie that I don't especially like. And this is a really long, about 15 minute scene where the, the family with the little boy arrives in town. Oh, you don't like this scene. Oh, I, I actually really like this scene. I like parts of it, but it goes on too long. Yeah, I could I could see that. Okay, summarize this one kind of quick for people, and then we'll talk about it. Oh, gosh. Uh, <laughs> this is I think this is like one of the most sort of Twilight Zone moments in the movie. Um, so, see, I'm, I'm forgetting the progression of events, though. Yeah, you're better at, at the progression of plot elements than I am. That's because it's my show and I have to do that. Yeah, <laughs> if I don't do it, no one will do it. Okay, so this new couple arrives in town and they're lost one night and they're looking for a gas station or a hotel and they stop in the cafe. And it's a really wonderfully creepy scene where the dad walks into this coffee shop and like every head just turns slowly towards him, like vampires smelling blood. Like they just know you're a stranger in our town. Everyone turns and looks. And he talks and the waitress gives him directions. Oh, just drive down the street a ways. And then, uh, in fact, if you need gas here, Freddie can help you out. Freddie works at the gas station and she points and Freddie smiles and turns towards the camera. And it's the, the dead photographer who just got stabbed in the eye. He's apparently back alive again. And that's the first WTF moment in this movie, really. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> okay. And so now we see Freddie. Freddie has been resurrected. Freddie's back. And now we get the long, drawn-out scene with this couple being chased by everyone in town into a farmhouse. See, I, I love all this imagery. I, I, I know it's I know it's quite a bit longer than all the other scenes, but I, I don't know if this is my favorite scene in the movie, but it's one of them. Just because of the atmosphere, the way everything is shot, 
the everything in the house with the with the silhouettes outside the windows and the way the camera moves um it 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 does almost feel like a like a like a subplot i guess um but i just kind of i just kind of soak it up yeah i agree it's it's very well done it's well shot but i i think the pacing is off in this scene and it's again it's a minor quibble it's a minor quibble it's a good scene i just don't think it i think it should have been trimmed well, and also, this is a scene that was supposed to be in another part of the movie. Yes, we'll talk about uh, that in a second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so that could be screwing up the pacing for you, too. Okay, to yada yada over this a little bit, this husband and wife and their young son who has a toy plane, and that's very important later. We'll see that plane later. They arrive in town, and they are driving down this highway to the gas station, and someone runs in front of their car, and they hit a pole, and they need help because their son bumped his head. So they see a farmhouse nearby that someone lights a light in the attic, like a beacon. Come to our farmhouse. We can help you. They walk over there. And it's a, again, I, to me, it's a too long. It's about a cat and mouse scene for about 10 minutes of the villagers basically entrapping them in the house and surrounding them and trying to attack them. Yeah. And normally I don't like scenes like that or, or scenes of slow motion searching. This is like one of my big pet peeves with movies. But uh, I think there's enough interesting little elements in this that that keep me kind of drawn into it. Um, but it but it does feel different than than a lot of the other scenes. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it quite fits the rest of the movie. And again, it's almost kind of comical, like you said. It's almost the black comedy part of this movie. Yeah, and 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 if you want to be critical, like I can see, like oh, they just wander into this creepy old dark house. Like it, it's a little strange. Yeah, but I mean, what else are you gonna do? If you're stranded in town and well it's true and the wife the wife is like doing shtick she's like why did you take us in here you <laughs> you you said you saw a light i didn't see a light i don't think you're a very good driver let's look in the refrigerator like she's doing all this fast talking shtick which is kind of doesn't fit the rest of the tone of the movie yeah and i and i think sherman said that moments like that were supposed to contrast with the more horrific elements like like i said or we were talking earlier this is this was originally designed to be more of a dark comedy. So that's remnants left over from, from that probably. Although I will say there's a good laugh in here where the, the villagers, like everybody in town, they're all in on every murder and they surround the farmhouse and they start breaking down the walls and the windows and they're all carrying knives. And at one point they, they corner the family in a corner of a house and they're all carrying knives. And one guy just says, welcome to Potter's bluff. (laughs) (laughs) And piece of trivia um, that is the director, Gary Sherman, doing that line. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he looped it. Um, and if you listen to the commentary track, it's totally obvious because he sounds the same. It's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the family, at the end of the scene, again, this is a long chunk of scene, the family gets away and they drive off, but we find out later they don't get away because we find their body, their uh, car in the ocean later. So <laughs> chalk another one up for the townspeople. We've killed another visitor. <laughs> Well, three visitors technically if you count the kid. Yeah, yeah. Um, one more thing I want to note about this scene is that um, they had to shoot this in the day, which is actually more impressive. So oh, wow. they put they put like a, uh, um, I think a giant tent over this set. Um, and actually all the scenes outside too with the car um, and the fog and all that, that's all in the daytime because uh, the county wouldn't let kids film – uh, at night because of child labor laws. So that, that just makes me actually appreciate the scene even more. Uh, they did a really good job 
making it look kind of seamless. See, I was going to say they probably filmed during the day because Grandpa Joe wouldn't get his lazy ass out of bed. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I hope that got a good laugh. I was waiting for that joke. (laughs) So, yeah, so the the family gets away and there's a really weird, creepy scene here where it's going to kind of tip the movie's hand where the sheriff sees the family fleeing from town and he drives after to see what's going on. And as he's driving away, he accidentally hits a pedestrian. Yeah, I love this moment that pedestrian's arm breaks off and like a Ted detaches from the body. And so the sheriff's like, Hey, are you okay? And the arm is still stuck to the grill of his car. And the sheriff's like, what the fuck is going on? And the guy just grabs his arm and picks it up and runs away. And the sheriff's like, wait a minute, who are you? What happened? I love this shot. I, I, I had completely forgotten it was in here. And, uh, there's something about, I would say, most of the gore in this movie, and maybe it's because it was Stan Winston, but as brutal as it is, it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a that's a pretty brutal shot, but <laughs> it, it, there's got an elegance to it somehow. It's like, it, like I said, if this was an Italian director, that would have been very goopy and bloody and, and visceral and... But uh, it's almost like conservative the way it's it's done. It's it's very strange. It's almost like Sam Raimi esque in the Evil Dead too, when the hand is detached and just walking around by itself. Right. Yeah, so it's like this guy's arm is just wiggling around by itself. It's like, hey, what happened? Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good comparison. But that's the that's the secret of this tale that everybody is dead. They've all been reanimated. They're all zombies. The sheriff just doesn't know it yet. And it's even it's the conspiracy goes even bigger than you think. It's going to be a fun little payoff later. But he's like, why why did that guy's arm just detach? What the hell's going on? (laughs) Anyway, so the sheriff goes home after this arm detachment scene and he talks to his wife. And this is where we're kind of going to this is they're kind of going to give away the plot of the movie here. And I'm just going to summarize it real quick. You can jump in if you want to hear what he uh, is going home and he starts looking through drawers in his house. He's looking for something and he's like, where are all my bullets? He's, he can't find them. He thinks maybe his wife has hidden them. Maybe his wife is hiding something from him. And he finds a book in her dresser. And this is very important to the plot of the movie. There's a book on witchcraft and occultism that has just been left there for him to find. Yeah. And, and I, I, I kind of wish they had delved a little more into this plot element because that's that's something I love in horror anyway. Um, they kind of just briefly touch on this. Um, and with how weird their relationship is from the get-go in this movie, I mean, every scene with this wife is uncomfortable and weird. <laughs> like, they don't have, a, a, like, a normal loving relationship even when they, they decide to kiss. Something's very off. I wish they had explored that a little more. Um, but, yeah, so basically it's hinted at that she's she's studying witchcraft, although she, of course, explains her way out of it. <laughs> yeah, okay. To sum this up for people, the wife says, or he finds this witchcraft book in her dresser, and there's a part that's been highlighted, and he's reading through it, and it says, Ancient folklore says they can only be created by persons who died a violent death. And again, this is something they don't harp on in the movie, but the more I think about it, the more I love it because it's just horrible. That the only way all these zombies can be reanimated and turned into the living dead, an army of the living dead, which is what this town is, is they must die a violent death. So, like, the movie's given itself permission to be as horrible as it wants because, oh, we need that for them to become zombies. And that's why all deaths are so violent. The movie has given itself a get-out-of-jail-free card. Yeah, isn't that great? (laughs) 
and and I think they even straight up say it at one point later on in the third act. They they kind of there's a line that that kind of they they straight up say it. Um, so yeah, it's it's a I guess you could you could look at it as plot convenience, but um, but I think it's I think it's it just makes the movie more interesting to me. Yeah, I just think it's clever. It's like you know what, it doesn't work unless we really brutalize this person with awesome special effects. <laughs> well, when you got Stan Winston, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, he goes down and talks to his wife. He's like, why do you have a book on witchcraft and raising the dead upstairs? And she's like, oh, because I'm a school teacher. I'm going to teach a lecture on witchcraft. And he's like, why? Why would you teach a lecture on witchcraft to little, like, six-year-olds or whatever? And she's like, oh, they love scary stuff. You know kids. Yeah, yeah. This, I, I put this in my notes. She said, kids love creepy things. It keeps them from being bored in my class. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, makes sense. Yeah, my my wife is a teacher here in 2023. I'm gonna see if I, she could pull off teaching witchcraft. It depends on on uh, uh, the location, I think probably. <laughs> it's a public school, if that helps. Yeah, could work. Yeah, maybe Ukaipa. You, you parents might have to sign off for it, but um, yeah. You yeah. <laughs> so, so she gives them, and they, you know, she always the wife can always talk her way out of it. Like, why are you? killing people why are you having sex with dead bodies oh kids like that it's no like she always has an excuse she'll talk her way out of everything anyway so she's got a little film canister she's like by the way can you take this to the film lab to get developed this is so weird <laughs> this is why i think this is an elaborate trap i think this is all designed to trap him oh oh yeah i, I totally think that too because when you see that film later on you're like wait a minute something was something was up there yeah, the minute he developed that film and he sees what's on it, everything will come into fruition on what is going on in this movie. But yeah, so it kind of depends on him seeing this film being developed. So that's why I think this is a Wicker Man trap going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would agree. Okay, so yada yada, Dobbs and the sheriff are talking about these murders, and, and Dobbs is like, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe that first guy was burned alive. And the sheriff's like, all right, we'll, we'll talk about this more later. Yeah, and and I, I do want to note really quickly that this is the scene um, that Gary Sherman said Jack Albertson was having a hard time getting through it. He kept falling asleep, um, and I guess James Ferentino ran off the set at one point, and they didn't know why. And then Gary Sherman went and found him, and he was crying in his trailer, and he said, um, "It just." This, uh, this has been really upsetting for me to see him falling asleep in this scene because that's how my dad died. I was just talking to him and he just died in the conversation. Yeah, isn't that kind of, isn't that sad? Way to bring down the podcast. Thank you so much for <laughs> boring, bumming out all my listeners. Sorry. I, I just, I thought it was a really interesting uh, kind of sweet anecdote. I, I wanted to throw it in there, but um, no, no, let's get back to evil Grandpa Joe. <laughs> yeah. How dare you take a movie about Jack Albertson dying and bring it down with a story about Jack Albertson dying? It, it just makes me appreciate it more, though, because I, he was clearly not feeling well and, and he was very, very close to death. And like you said, he's the best part of this movie. He's amazing. The more I watch this movie, the more I love Jack Albertson. It, it might be my favorite Jack Albertson role of all the ones I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I I might agree with you on that. Okay, so the sheriff is still trying to figure out what the hell is going on in this town. Like, why is there witchcraft going on? Dead bodies? Why are people's arms being detached and wiggling on the grill of my car? 
So he scrapes off some of the skin sample from his car and he takes it to a lab. Like maybe they can find some kind of hit. What is this? Who is this? And that, that skin sample is going to come back later with a fun reveal. So we'll get back to that one. Yeah. <laughs> and this, I think, is where it gets really weird because the innkeeper, the one who had the photographer staying at his house before the photographer was burned alive, the innkeeper comes to the sheriff one day and he's like, um, I just saw something weird. The sheriff's like, what? You know that guy who got burned alive? I just saw him pumping gas over at the gas station. He's alive now. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's going to get really bizarre. We're about halfway through the movie, but it's just going to spin out of control the entire rest of the way here. And the way it's played is like, I even had this in my notes. Like, I forgot. I said, oh, the motel guy is really spooked about about this. Or the the innkeeper, I guess. Um, like, he plays it, so you, you believe it. Like, oh, well, even he's kind of freaked out now. So, so what's going on? Exactly. That's why the more you watch this movie, you try to figure out who's in on what and when. Yeah. And I, and I, I, like I said, this is the fourth time I've seen it and I forget the way this plays out. It's, it's, it's kind of interesting. <laughs> okay. Here's a fun scene. Okay. When you, when you say this movie was meant to be a black comedy, this next scene, I could see why you might say that. So, <laughs> this is where the sheriff is going to visit his wife at the school and he overhears her lecture. He happens to be in the school and he's listening in on her lecture. She's giving to her seven and eight year olds or whatever about witchcraft. It's it's a little more graphic than you think your average class lesson would be. And I love how graphic and how oddly inappropriate this whole scene is. It's very, very weird. <laughs> yeah. And it's shot very hazy. I mean, the whole movie is. But, uh, yeah, something is very off about this classroom. Okay, so let me summarize this for people who have never, maybe never seen it. It's uh, This teacher, his wife, is explaining to her class about resurrection and bringing back the undead. And she goes, you know, a lot of people don't know, but that's real. This is real. And she's like, but zombies, as you know them, don't walk around like you think they do, like lurching little monsters. They're just like normal people. They can walk around like normal people. It makes them harder to spot. So this, this scene basically gives away the entire movie, right? Yeah. Hint, hint. Yeah. And she says, you know, although these zombies are conventionally dead, they're capable of very closely imitating the living. And then she says, there are even reports of this tribe in Peru that contains a great number of these walking dead who are completely at the will of their master. Hint, Dobbs is the master. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah, I, again, I, you, you, you'll like this movie even if you kind of know where it's going. Dobbs is running an entire town of zombies that because he's so good at re reanimating corpses and making them look realistic, he has figured out the secret to the dark arts. Everybody in this town is dead. They're his little zombie army, and the sheriff is the only one who is not. That's, that's the secret he's trying to figure out. Everyone is in on this but him. He has not figured out that Dobbs has basically a death cult here. Yeah, and it's kind of even suggested at the end that he's just doing it because he just wants to do it. <laughs> There's no Lex Luthor plan or anything. Yeah. It's like in The Warriors. He's just like, no reason. <laughs> I just like doing things. <laughs> well, because you have to do it because people like scary stuff. Otherwise, they get bored in class. That's right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But the teacher does explain to the kids, she says... In order for the master to attain the control over the souls of his undead, he has to cut out their heart and keep it hidden. And this is very important later because we're going to find a heart in a casket and we'll understand what Dobbs is doing. Foreshadowing. One, one of the, another cool effect coming up. Yeah, so Billy, what did you learn in school today? Well, 
Miss Gill has told us about death and how to reanimate a corpse. <laughs> All the kids get pulled out of school the next day. <laughs> well, that leads to an interesting question. Are the kids dead, too? I was just thinking that. Yeah. Everyone in town must be dead. It's There's a whole mythology we're going to get into in this movie with what you can do with zombies, that when Dobbs reanimates a corpse, he gives them a selective memory, that they only remember certain things, they can do menial tasks, they can repeat their lives. So it raises a lot of interesting questions the more you think about this. Yeah. Yeah, they would all have to be dead, wouldn't they? Everybody has to be dead. Except for all, except for travelers and interlopers, yeah. That's why they love travelers. Anytime a traveler comes, they can smell. They can smell you're an outsider, and they have to kill. They've been programmed to kill outsiders to create extra living zombies for Dobbs' army. And that is underscored by the next scene, which involves the hitchhiker. Yeah, okay, talk about this one. This is a fun scene. Uh, it's kind of random. Uh, it just involves this woman walking along the road, and this very comical truck driver pulls up next to her. And uh, this is another one of those moments where I think the dark humor elements kind of got uh, retained for this scene. Mm -hmm. um, and he's a super creepy guy. And, hey, you sure you want to ride with me? How do you know I'm not a dirty old man? Like, he just says this <laughs> straight out. It was the 70s, late 70s. We talked like that. Yeah. <laughs> so, of course, she gets in and uh, they make their way down the road. And uh, and then what happens? And then, yeah, he he says, hey, let's go. I, there's a cute little town over here called Potter's Bluff. Strangers love visiting Potter's Bluff. And she's like, all right. So he drives her to, like, his houseboat. And then he gets he, uh, drives her up, and she's like, why are we here? And immediately the car is surrounded by townspeople. And we've seen this before. Strangers do not end well in Potter's Bluff. And they surround her. They pull her out of the car. They all start taking pictures of her, as always. And I, I, they don't explain that in the movie, but that's so Jack Albertson, that's so Dobbs can reconstruct their face, right? He needs a he needs a, a, a template to look at. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, see, they don't explain that. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that makes perfect sense. Yeah, Dobbs needs lots of images when he recreates their face, because she's about to lose her face. So you just made this movie even creepier for me. That's what I do. I like to creep people out. <laughs> But yeah, she's about to lose her face because one villager takes a giant rock and bashes her skull in. Face, her face, I guess, right through the face. Although, little bit of trivia, and I know you looked this up. There's a continuity error with this scene, isn't there? I think so. There, there are a couple of continuity errors, and I think that is because of the scenes getting juggled around by the studio. Yeah, so what happens is this hitchhiker girl gets murdered here. Her face gets bashed in. But if you go about 20 minutes previous in the movie in the farmhouse scene where the family is being chased, you can see the dead hitchhiker girl as one of the vis the villagers trying to kill her. It's because they flip-flopped. Yeah, I think Gary Sherman even mentioned that in the commentary, and, and that was one of the things that, that upset him about what the studio did to the movie. I don't think you'd notice the first time you watch. You have to be looking for it. Oh, yeah. I, I, I had never noticed until I watched the commentary track. I mean, yeah, all white people look the same to me. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> these honkies. <laughs> all these Potter's Bluff fishing people. I have no idea. They're all the same to me. <laughs> okay. Now we're going to get one of the greatest special effects you've ever seen in a movie. And this one's so good, people don't realize it's an effect. You know the one I'm talking about, the facial reconstruction? 
This is amazing. <laughs> yeah, this is a scene, even if you don't like horror movies, you should watch this one. And I will set it up and you can describe this one because this is, this to me is the standout scene in this movie. In fact, this is one of the best horror movie special effects I have ever seen. So this hitchhiker girl's face has been bashed in and her body is wheeled over to Dobbs and Dobbs sees her and he's like, ah, oh, so lovely. How could anyone mar such loveliness? And he says, my dear, I will make you beautiful again, even more beautiful than before. And now we get this wonderful time-lapse reconstruction scene. And I'll leave this, I'll leave you to describe this one to people. Oh gosh, if, if I can remember exactly what happens. Um, well, first you see her, she's brutalized, she looks horrible. And then uh, basically, yeah, it's time, it's time-lapse. Uh, it's these, all these segued shots. And then she's a skeleton, right? It's, it's just her skull. He has to pull off the skin. He peels off all the skin and tendons. Yeah, it's all green and and it's it's pretty gruesome, but it, it's it's also kind of beautiful the way they did it. Well, yeah, I was gonna say it's not as gruesome as you think it would be. It's very it's done very artfully. Yeah, it's almost more science fiction than horror at this part. Yeah, so, yeah, he peels off her skin and tendons. He basically has to reconstruct her like a plastic surgeon. And it's all done in time lapse. So it's really, really cool the way it's done. You see a one second here, one second here, how he's doing it. And what you're seeing is Stan Winston literally doing. Those are Stan Winston's hands. You think it's Jack Albertson's. It's not. It's Stan Winston reconstructing her face exactly as Stan Winston would do it, building an effect from scratch. And, yeah, he just reconstructs her face over time lapse over about two minutes and she, it's beautiful. She looks absolutely gorgeous. He somehow does it. It's a really good effect. And you see him, he gets her face, her skin all stitched on, her hair. He does the makeup. She looks very realistic, except she has no eyes. So then he has to fish, fish around inside her eye sockets and put in these fake eyeballs. Yeah, this is where you begin to, to think, oh, yeah, that must be a, an effect. <laughs> yeah, that's a puppet. Okay, clearly that's a puppet. There's no way that's a human actress fishing around in the eyes. And then... I'm not going to give away the secret right away. We'll talk about it in a second. But then he, you know, puts the eyeballs in. He closes, he closes her down. He says, there you go. And he kisses her on the forehead. He says, another masterpiece completed. Beautiful. And as he walks away, this corpse that he's been fiddling with sits up and turns right towards the camera and opens her eyes and looks at you. And you're like, oh, my God, that's a real person. Yeah. And when I watched this the other night, um, the, the first watch, well, the first rewatch, um, I was actually sitting there and I couldn't, I, it's been a couple of years. So I was sitting there going, is that the actress or is that a dummy? Um, and then of course it got to the eyeball part and I'm like, okay, but, uh, I was not prepared for when she sat up. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> it's so seamlessly done. It's amazing. Yeah, and I was going to point out, it's not a jump scare. This is not something that scares the audience. It's He's literally fiddling with a skeleton. He adds skin. He adds eyeballs. He caresses it. He does the makeup. And then there's a very quick sneaky cut. You don't catch it because you're so engrossed in the scene where they wheel out the body, the, the dummy real quick, and they wheel in the real, real actress. And you don't notice it unless you're looking for it. And that's what makes this scene so unbelievable. And it had to have been so fast. I mean, we're talking about, what, four or five seconds mm -hmm. where the camera pans up. I mean, they had to they had to just haul and get her in there to do that. So 
that's why if if you're not looking for it, it'll really catch you off guard. Yeah, and again, that is the standout moment in this movie. That is such a cool effect, and that is why Stan Winston was doing Jurassic Park, you know, 13 years later, because he pulled off that effect. That is really cool. And I got to give credit to Gary Sherman, too, for making that, you know, that long, continuous shot. You know, he's talked about he likes to do that kind of stuff, continuous shots as much as he can. Mm -hmm. um, th that just makes it so much more impressive. You could have cut around that, and it would have been like, oh, okay. But uh, to do that all in real time is, is something else. Yeah, and again, it's like Dobb said, that is art. That is that is a really cool artistic shot in a movie that has no business having an artistic shot like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're going above and beyond. It's a really interesting sequence, and it's it's uh, it's it's really fantastic. <laughs> but that to, to give away the plot a little more, that is the first time in this movie we've seen a dead body come in. Dobbs does something, and then the body sits up and comes back to life. So now we know Dobbs has something to do with this. There's some kind of reanimation. That teacher's whole lecture about the dead coming back to life is happening, and this is where the sheriff is going to be tipped off because. I think the sheriff has scraped off that skin sample on his car he got from the guy whose arm came off a while back, and it comes back from the lab, and the doctor says, um, where did you get this skin sample? And the sheriff's like, well, I scraped it off my car last night. And the doctor says, oh, really? Because this skin tissue has been dead for at least four months. Yeah, so, so now they're adding another layer to this plot that's just beyond <laughs> twisted. So yeah, skin samples are now dead four months, yet walking around. What like there's no clue this is a zombie movie until this point. This is where we realize this is actually a zombie movie. Potter's Bluff is zo infested with zombies. Yeah. And now we're going to get to the really shitty special effect. I'm very excited to talk about this one. Oh, yeah. So the doctor, there's the doctor, this bald guy who's like the maybe the one guy aside from the sheriff who isn't dead in this town, isn't in on the secret has just called the sheriff and said, uh, we got a some kind of necrophiliac skin sample going on here. I'm not sure what it is. And right after the doctor hangs up the phone, he starts investigating the skin sample a little more. And I think it starts moving or something. He's like, what the hell? Yeah. And right after that happens, he's surrounded by townspeople, as always. We've seen this before. They all start taking his pictures, and they start battering him with things. And then they kill him by inserting acid up his nostrils into his sinuses so it burns his face off. Yeah, and when I uh, when I saw this on the rewatch, the first rewatch, I was like, "Man, that that is really brutal." But like I said, something something seemed off, and that's because this is the one effect that Stan Winston did not do. To point paint a nice picture for you, this is one of the worst effects you will ever see in a movie. Clearly, a rubber face. Clearly, a rubber mask with acid being burned through it. It doesn't look like a human face at all, even though they move the mouth. It's so bad. You cannot believe this is the same <laughs> in the same movie where we just saw that reconstruction of the face. But like Chris said, that's because after this movie wrapped, Stan Winston had to go somewhere else, and they hired a different special effects company for this one effect. And it's so terrible. It looks like a five-year-old did it. Yeah, Gary Sherman said that that everything in that scene from when the doctor's in the lab, that all that was added. He's he was also pissed because he said it's ludicrous, and and that doctor should have been dead the whole time, and and showing him alive and like he's not in on it, um, just kind of kind of blows that plot a little bit. 
Yeah, I agree with that. I was thinking that same thing because, in theory, everyone should be dead dead in this town except the sheriff. If you leave the doctor alive as well, it changes the story a little bit. Yeah, and the only reason we saw his death is just because they wanted a little more gore in it. It's it's stupid. It is stupid, and again, if you're if you're squeamish about gore, don't worry. If you see the scene, acid going up a guy's sinuses and eating his face from the outside in, it looks so stupid. It's not even scary or gross. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> And the movie would work so well without it. Like it's totally unnecessary. Mm -hmm. It's what is it? A minute scene too? It's 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 not very long, um, and, and it doesn't change the way I feel about the movie on the whole. But it's yeah, it's it's unnecessary. Yeah, I am so glad that I found out that trivia that Stan Winston didn't do that because it honestly, <laughs> I was having such mixed feelings the first time I watched this movie, saying, how could this movie have such good effects and then that terrible effect? So I'm so excited to know that Winston had nothing to do with that one. That's like in Return of the Living Dead, where the, the first time you see a zombie, he's like green. And mm -hmm. remember that? I think he has like a bald cap on. You're like, what in the hell is this? And then all the zombies later on are, are much more sophisticated and interesting. And like, oh, it's because they had a shitty uh, uh, effects guy and they ended up firing him and bringing in a better team. So this is the reverse of that. <laughs> yeah, I can't even tell you how pissed I would be if I was Stan Winston and I had my name on this movie as a special effects and that effect is in there. Oh, I'm sure he was just totally rankled by that if if he saw the movie. <laughs> okay, so uh, we're going to rush to the ending here. That's It's just everything, little developments are going to happen, little... Uh, the sheriff's going to catch little clues. He's going to figure out real quick that something's going on. And I think this is the scene here where Dobbs comes in to the sheriff's office and says, uh, I got to report a theft. Uh, somebody stole one of my bodies. And the sheriff's like, what? And he's like, remember that girl, that hitchhiker that was killed yesterday? She's gone. Someone took her. And then this whole idea of did she walk away on her own comes up because there's these <laughs> hints in the sheriff's head that maybe there's a walking dead problem in our town. And there's a lot. I love this quote where the sheriff says, Dobbs, you don't think the dead can come back to life, do you? And Dobbs says, in my profession, that's a rather unpleasant thing to think about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great line. <laughs> but the sheriff, the sheriff just thinks something's up. He's hearing about flesh that's four months old when he just killed it yesterday. He's hearing about corpses walking away. He's seeing that arm twitch after it got knocked off a human. So I think this is where he goes to the cemetery and he says, dig up that hitchhiker or the dig up that photographer, Freddie. I want to see his corpse. I bet it's not in there. And this is where we get the big reveal right of the heart. And the grave digger here is uh, Michael Pataki, who I know from a movie called Grave of the Vampire. Hmm. Uh, he was in a bunch of things, but uh, I think it's I actually didn't catch that it was him until I watched the commentary track. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no wonder he looked familiar. Okay, we'll get to the end of the movie here because the, the sheriff's kind of figured it out. He knows there's something going on. He goes and gets them to dig up the body of the photographer, Freddie. Inside the casket, there's just a heart. And and I, I, I want to mention that this is an actual animal heart. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, now, Sherman couldn't remember if it was a cow or a pig, but he said it, it is a real heart. That's good. I'm glad they, they <laughs> went for accuracy in the heart scene. <laughs> so yeah so he digs it up inside the photographer's casket is a heart and uh this is okay all, it's all the pieces are putting together in his head his wife that giving the lecture at school that if someone 
it reanimates a body. If you keep their heart somewhere safe, then you can control them. He's like Dobbs. Dobbs is doing something to the bodies in this town. That sick fuck old man is doing something. He's reanimating these corpses. And I think this is where he sends a telex, which is like a fax, to, I think, uh, in anywhere in the state of Rhode Island. Find out about Dobbs. Has he ever been fired from a job before he works here? And this is going to be the big plot reveal. Yeah, and I like this this little uh, character actress here playing his his I guess it's his secretary, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Betty Estelle Omens. Um, I, I don't know. She just has a couple of nice little moments here at the end. <laughs> okay, so this is where the big reveal happens that they get a telex later, a couple hours later, that says uh, Dobbs was fired in October '69. This would have been 12 years before the movie. He was fired as chief pathologist somewhere else in Rhode Island. It says, subject made unauthorized use of dead bodies in the county morgue. He was censured and rejected. He left shortly afterwards. And the sheriff's like, oh, no. And this is where it all comes together. Dobbs is doing some kind of black magic or black arts on these corpses. He's reanimating them. Yeah. And this is uh, this is right before he ends up watching the film that was given to him (laughs) by his wife. Yeah, so earlier in the movie, his wife said, I got this film. It's for my students in class. Please get this developed for me. It's very important. So the sheriff took it to the film lab. They said it would be two days. And on his way to go and confront Dobbs about what he's learned and that Dobbs is some kind of sick freak, he goes to pick up the film from his wife. And just because you know he can't resist, this is like Bluebeard's Closet. (laughs) He's like, you know what? I know I shouldn't, but I guess I should. I kind of want to watch that film my wife had me develop. And he probably should not have. No. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, give this away. What's what's in the what's in the film? So uh, his wife is uh, is uh, having sex with this guy. Um, Well, actually, you don't know it's his wife at first. It's a black and white film, and these people are getting it on in his bed, and uh, and then the guy ends up getting stabbed by who's underneath him, and then we pan over and we see it's his wife, but they don't show you who the guy is yet. <laughs> yeah, this is very. This is a wonderful reveal. I love the way this is done. So the black and white film gives away the whole plot of the movie. It shows. It's like a voyeur peeping in on two people having sex on a bed. You see the man on top of the woman. You see all these townspeople waiting outside with knives ready to come in and kill these people having sex. And the sheriff's watching this. He's like, oh, no. It's like a first person, kind of like the movie Sinister. It's like one of the snuff films in Sinister. And he's like, oh, God, what is this? And then he sees all the villagers come in, and he sees the man get off the woman. And the woman looks right at the camera, and it's his wife. And his wife grins right at the camera with this evil grin. And she plunges her knife into the back of the guy who's on top of her having sex with her. And everyone in the town starts coming in with the knives to finish off. And the sheriff's like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. Everyone in this town's a murderer. And then they pan to the left. And we see Dobbs laughing, egging them on. And he's like, Dobbs, damn it. Yeah. I, I, I love how James Ferentino just loses it <laughs> at the end of this movie. And this scene, like... I, I can see some people maybe thinking it's a little over the top, but I mean, how else is he supposed to react? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't underplay that scene. Oh, my wife is having sex with people and then killing them, and the local black magician who's reanimating their bodies is in charge of it. How do you underplay that? Yeah. <laughs> how does Meryl Streep play that? <laughs> yeah, I love that he just he just loses his shit at the end of this movie. I, I love watching it. 
So he runs over to confront Dobbs because he's figured it out that there's a whole conspiracy in this town. They're killing strangers for Dobbs under Dobbs instruction. Dobbs reanimates the corpses because he's some sick freak. I don't know why. And he runs over. And the first thing he does is he says, Dobbs, what did you do to my wife? Why do you have my wife as part of your sick cult? Now, he doesn't realize the bigger picture that his wife is actually dead. Yeah. This is where she wanders in, right? Well, yeah. First, Dobbs says, ah, your wife, Janet, my crown jewel, my very first, my seedling. <laughs> I also love his line. Call it black magic. Call it a medical breakthrough. I'll take my secret to the grave. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the movie is very clever. They don't actually explain how he is reanimating these corpses. He just says, it's a secret and I won't tell. <laughs> I, I call him the abominable Dr. Dobbs. <laughs> this, the part, this part of the movie reminds me so much of Dr. Fibes. Yeah, fucking Grandpa Joe, man. <laughs> can't trust him. Yeah, you can't trust him. You can't. That guy will always lie to you, and he will steal your fizzy lifting drinks. <laughs> I said good day, sir! <laughs> Willy Wonka was right not to trust him. Anyway, yeah, so the final scene is in the mortuary and the sheriff's there confronting Dobbs. And here's little frail old Jack Albertson just laughing and staring at him. And all behind him on the wall are all these videos and pictures of dead body and pe bodies and, pe and people being killed. And the sheriff's like, oh, no, Dobbs, what are you doing? What are you doing? And Dobbs is like, they had to be disfigured so I could make them beautiful again. That's my art. And this, And then I think if I recall we see a video, a film of Janet being killed too. This is where we see her murder. Uh, yeah. Yeah, so this is where the sheriff learns his wife is dead and has been reanimated and he's been sleeping with a corpse for who knows how long. Yeah, and then she wanders in, right, and says, Dan, I'm dead, please bury me. <laughs> yes. There's so much going on in the scene, but yeah, the short version is the wife is there Dan's like, I love you. And Dobbs is like, oh, don't worry about it. She's dead. She can't hear you. She doesn't understand anything. And he's like, no, she's not dead. Look at her. She's just like normal. And Dobbs is like, that's what I can do to them. I can give them selective memories. And he's like, because I like you, Sheriff, I gave you a gift. I gave her fear and sex and love like a normal human being so you would still love her. That is my gift to you because I like you. He goes, the others are all drawings, but Janet, she was a painting. She is my masterpiece. <laughs> so twisted <laughs> it just gets more and more wrong this, this movie yeah don't think about this one too much because this is i think he says at one point Dobbs says everyone else in town has to come to me after like like a three to four days to be touched up like because they start falling apart he reanimates these corpses and they start falling apart so they have to come to him so he can retouch them up but your wife janet she can go three weeks to a month she's my masterpiece <laughs> It's like a backhanded compliment. Yeah. And then Dan asks a very logical question. Why? Why do you kill everyone in town and then reanimate them? And Dobbs is like, because when people are dead, they don't get sick. They don't age. They retain their beauty. And I can keep them beautiful through my art. Which is, to be honest, that's not a bad motive for this crime. If you had to pick something. If I had to pick, that'll probably hold up in court. I mean, dude's an artist. Like, what else is he? He's like Bob Ross. Like, what? How many people do you think Bob Ross killed? Oh, well, who knows? <laughs> he took his secret to the grave. He did, exactly. 
But yeah, Dobbs is like, after I work on these people, they look so good, so healthy, that I can't bear to bury them. They're even more beautiful than the living. <laughs> anyway, yeah, so we've we've entered a realm of this movie being fairly twisted at this point. Yeah, and and I mean, it, it gets twisted right up until the very last shot. <laughs> and you go, what? <laughs> I I forgot. I actually forgot this ending. Yeah, the ending's good. I, I was going to say, it's really good, and I forgot it, too. It's Because this movie has a couple twists that you forget there's one last one on top of the other twists. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, <laughs> Janet is there, his wife, and she's like, she starts talking to him. She's like, Dan, what are we going to have for dinner? This is kind of a funny scene. She's like, what are we going to have for dinner tonight? We can have pork chops, or we can have steak. And he's like, you're, you're alive. She can't be dead. Dobbs like, oh, no, trust me, she's dead. And then he doesn't he shoot her. He shoots his wife, right, just to test that she's really dead. Now, this had to be one of those scenes that was supposed to be a little funny because her little patter here about dinner is hilarious <laughs> in the midst of all this craziness. Yeah. Yeah. There she's just going over the dinner menu and he caresses her cheek and like her cheek peels off some of the skin. He's like, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. And she's just talking about dinner and, you know, just being a, being a nice wife and. It's just like oblivious to everything going on. Yeah, and Dan is so horrified that he's been married to and having sex with a corpse for... I, how long has this been going on? A year? Two years? I have no idea. And Dan's like, no! And then he shoots his wife because she knows she's dead. And he shoots her four times and she doesn't die. She just looks down. And she keeps talking about dinner, right? <laughs> yeah, the, the pork chops. She wants to talk about the pork chops. <laughs> it's like Pulp Fiction. The blueberry pancakes. Like, shut up about the pancakes. <laughs> but yeah, so he, he shoots his wife, and instead of, like, dying or being hurt, she's like, Dan, I'm dead. And she's like, she gets all shocked. She's like, please bury me. Please, I'm dead. Please bury me, Dan. And she wanders out to an open grave, and he's like, what the hell am I doing? What is going on? Yeah, this is just beyond twisted at this point. And then, of course, he does the one natural thing as he turns and shoots Dobbs. Dobbs has to die. Grandpa Joe, sorry. It was his time. Yeah. This is for Mrs. Bucket. <laughs> this is for stealing fizzy lifting drinks. That's your punishment. The first bullet was for the fizzy lifting. The second was for the for Mrs. Bucket, just their general labors. The third is the family was buying your tobacco, you freeloading fuck, and you were laying in bed. So he shoots Dobbs. So Dobbs collapses and dies. Although, if I recall, Dobbs right before that says, please shoot me. Let me join my or my children. Let me join my army. Yeah, I think he does. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. This, wow, I still got a page of how twisted we're going to go in this movie, and we're already pretty <laughs> twisted. <laughs> so Dan goes outside the sheriff, and his wife is trying to bury herself because she's like, I'm dead. I need to be buried. I'm dead. I need to be buried. So he holds her hand, and he starts piling dirt over her helping her bury herself because that's all he can really think to do because he loves her and, and in the commentary track um uh david gregory mentions that this is a lot like um death dream bob clark's death dream which is another fantastic horror movie um but yeah it's kind of similar okay so he's helping bury his corpse wife dobbs is inside he's been shot but dobbs raises himself up and slowly wanders over to his embalming table and this is I, I wish I wish at this point in the movie Jack Albertson would have said, Look at me <laughs> Look at me Up and about Up and about 
I haven't done this in 20 years. <laughs> so you think you should have done a big dance number here? Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> we should do the, the extended mix cut where we splice in his dance with Charlie here. Oh, it's got to happen. Oh, man. I'm telling you, unofficial sequel to Willy Wonka is this movie. Good morning. Look at the sun. <laughs> so evil Grandpa Joe pulls himself over to his embalming table. First, he turns on his big band record because his music has to play when he's doing his art. Then he pulls out a makeup kit and starts putting lipstick on himself, which, you know, that's literally probably the last scene Jack Albertson ever filmed in his life is him putting lipstick on himself, which is a very sad ending to a very distinguished career. Uh, yeah, that would be very weird. <laughs> and then he injects himself with embalming fluid. He jabs these two needles of embalming fluid into his abdomen and starts pumping himself up full of embalming fluid. Now, this does lead to a question. Was Dobbs dead all along? Or, like, was he actually alive until this moment, or was he already dead? Uh, I felt like I thought he was alive. It's possible. It's possible this is, like when he's saying, please shoot me, let me join my army of children. Maybe he's telling the truth. He wants to be dead. And this is his final moment, and he knows how to re-inject the embalming fluid and reanimate himself. So it's possible he was alive until this moment. Yeah, it, it's very ambiguous. I, I, I'm not sure. Next time I watch it, I'll have to, I'll have to think about that, too. But I, I kind of just assumed he was alive, and, and he was being earnest when he said, I want to die. I, I don't know. Yeah. Just something to think about. This movie raises many interesting and disturbing questions. Yeah. Also, I wonder somehow if we can blame Slugworth for this. <laughs> I, it sounds good to me. <laughs> All right. So, okay, here we go. The end of the movie, because there's still more to come. There's still more twists coming up. So yep. Dan has buried his wife and he's sobbing. Because, again, he's the only one who's alive in this town. He's trying to figure out what kind of hold does evil Grandpa Joe have over this town? What has he done? And as he's burying his dead wife, who's still alive, by the way, who's still talking to him and probably reeling off the dinner menu, <laughs> the rest of the town comes over to offer condolences, and they pat, they pat Dan on the back, and they put flowers down on her grave. Yeah, so everyone from town is there. They're all patting Dan on the back. They, uh, they all say, may she rest in peace, Dan, and they all lay down flowers. And as he's looking around, this is where it starts to dawn on him that everyone in this town is dead, just like his wife, because they're all here. They all know what's going on. They're all patting him on the back. And he sees the doctor. He sees the innkeeper. He sees like the waitress. He's like, oh, no. Oh, no. Everyone here was dead. Every one of you people was dead this entire time. And like even the blonde girl at the start, the killer, she's like, be happy for her, Dan. And then, and then we get, of course, what you know is coming next. They all take pictures of Dan, and they start pummeling him. Yep. And uh, there's another twist here, too. <laughs> That's not the end of it, even. <laughs> That's not. We're not done with the travails of poor Dan yet. That he screams, no, not me. You're not going to get me, you you know, sick bastards. You're not going to kill me. I'm not part of your little game. And he runs inside, and he runs back to Dobbs. And this is where we get the final punchline. And you can probably guess where this is going if you know your horror movies. But do you remember Dobbs' quote here? Um, not offhand, no. He says, you know, Dan, there's one more thing you should know. By the way, Dobbs is alive again. Dan has shot him, but Dan is alive. I guess Dan, Dan was probably kind of expecting that. Oh, yeah, Dobbs is back alive again, of course. <laughs> Dobbs, 
points up to the screen and now we see the rest of the movie that we saw that he developed earlier where everyone was killing uh, where the, all the townspeople were surrounding the couple in bed and his wife stabbed somebody in the back. And again, they don't beat you over the head with this ending. You have to think about this a little bit. A little bit. What, what do we see now is the actual ending of that movie? Well, uh, the man that was having sex with uh, his wife was him. <laughs> he was the one that was stabbed. She killed him in the, in the film. So he is dead. He's been dead this whole time. And we know because he raises his hands up and they start decomposing. That's the last shot of the movie, his hands decomposing. Yeah. Okay, let me put that into perspective for you because this movie does not beat you over the head. It's like, okay, here's a twist ending. Think about it for a second. Dan at one point was having sex with his wife and the townspeople came in and she stabbed him in the back and killed him and they all continued and killed him as well. So Dan has been dead for, I would assume, this entire movie. I think so, yeah. And, and uh, Gary Sherman pointed out in the commentary that this was far before The Sixth Sense. Spoiler alert, if you haven't seen The Sixth <laughs> Sense yet. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. Have there have, Were there other horror movies before this that, that did use that trope? That's really interesting. I cannot think of one off the top of my head. There's got to be a Twilight Zone somewhere where someone was dead. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, well... Uh, occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, but which isn't technically Twilight Zone, but they showed it on there. So I guess, yeah, that would, that would be a precursor. Yeah. So this gets way more demented. The more you think about it, that Dan has been dead this entire movie. And Dobbs has said earlier, when someone gets reanimated, I can give them selective memories. So because Dan, because Dobbs liked the sheriff, he gave him a memory of being a sheriff. Oh, you like to solve crimes. You like to help the village. I gave you that memory so you're still following your rote instincts so dan has been dead this whole movie it was all thrown into flux when that photographer at the start didn't die dan had to investigate that so dan kind of unraveled this perfect little society dobbs had created for himself with all zombies just as creations of art walking around that he was like their father so yeah so dan's been dead the whole movie and as he looks at the camera at the end of the movie his fingers start to decompose he's like oh my god i'm dead and and Dobbs just says, come, Dan, let me fix those for you. I forgot about that. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the end of the movie. We just fade out. And I'm like, my God, what a twisted little masterpiece of a horror movie that once again made $200,000 in box office. It's just astounding, isn't it? I, I, I don't get it. This has so much going for it. Um, and it, it's more twisted than I remembered. And I've seen it like four times. I think it's one of those movies where every time I see it, it's just going to be like, oh, yeah, wow. I, I forgot how, how jacked up this is. Well, a lot of that's because you have to think about it. Like, it's it's twisted enough just watching it, but the premise behind it and the discussion it raises afterwards are like ten times more twisted. And that's so fun. I love horror movies like that. Like, oh, my God, this is an even sicker movie than you think it is. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot going on in this movie. It's I think it's very rewarding, very bleak, <laughs> but but you know, you could even pull out some themes in here too, um if you wanted to. 
Well, yeah, like I said at the start, it's it's basically a Scooby-Doo mystery. That's how it's played for half of the movie. It's like, you know, the gang is in town trying to figure out this murder, and the town is a little off, and they pull off the mask. Oh, it's old man Dobbs at the end. Like, it's literally like a R-rated horror Scooby-Doo mystery. And like I said, it's a Scooby-Doo mystery with eyeball trauma. And I like how Gary Sherman uh, said that this is this whole movie is basically amounts to Dobbs puppet show. You know, he, he's running everything and it's just this like sick, demented, <laughs> diabolical scheme. Yeah. And again, it's one another one of those movies where the bad guy wins. And I love horror movies where the bad guy wins. It's although admittedly, well, I was going to try to make a defense where Dobbs isn't the bad guy. Never mind. That's wrong. He's killing people. Of course, he's the bad guy. <laughs> Yeah, I wanted to hear I want to hear that rationale. I don't want to get canceled, so I'll stop that one. But uh but but what I love about this movie, there's so many things I like about it. I love the setting, I love the ambiance, I love the music, I love how restrained it is, I love the special effects that aren't the guy getting acid up his nose. But I especially love that that's Jack Albertson in this role. That is not what you'd expect to see Jack Albertson playing this role, especially the last role of his lifetime. Like it's such a weird little niche movie just to have on his resume. You know, this happens to so many veteran actors at the end, you know, near the end of their life or in their later years. They end up doing these these genre movies, and sometimes they're really great. Sometimes they're not. But uh, it's it's I see this happen so much. Um, and it's but the first time I saw this, it was jarring. I mean, to grow up with him as Grandpa Joe. And then to see him in this, I, I I didn't know he he could do this and sell me on it, you know? Yeah, he's great. He's so good in this role. He's so creepy, yet kind of lovable at the same time and eccentric and you kind of enjoy him. But like, man, his plan is one of the most twisted things I've ever seen in a horror movie. Yeah. At, 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 now that you mention it, at no point in this movie did I think, I, I don't like this character or what a bastard or like... I, isn't that weird? Is it because it's just Jack Albertson, I guess? I like him more than Grandpa Joe. I'm saying Dobbs is a greater human being than Grandpa Joe. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I mean, Mrs. Bucket never had to clean up Dobbs' piss-crusted bed. <laughs> to be, I mean, am, am I wrong? Come on. Uh, you do have a point, I guess. Yeah. But uh, it's funny you say that, that a lot of uh, well-respected veteran actors kind of change and go into genre stuff at, at the end of their career. It's funny you say that because I was just reading about Lucille Ball, how, you know, I Love Lucy, one of the most beloved actresses, very well-respected of her time. At the end of her career in the 80s, she did another sitcom called Life with Lucy. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, which you've ever, if you've ever seen it, is one of the saddest things ever. It's it's. So jarring watching a 75-year-old trying to do slapstick physical comedy like she used to do 30 years ago. Yeah. And I've seen a lot of people saying it was so jarring to see Lucy trying to do what she always did. Like, And I know it broke her heart that people didn't accept her, that that show flopped. But like, can you imagine if Lucy had gone the other way and played like some chain-smoking, foul-mouthed villain in some horror movie or some drama? Like, or she was on Golden Girls just throwing down insults to each other. Like, wouldn't that have been such a cool ending to see Lucy at the end of her career when she does something else like Jack Albertson did here? That would have been pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that's why it's an example of where it, it doesn't work if you just do the same thing over and over and over and stay in the same type of role. And Jack Albertson went this other way, and he pulled off this amazing, unbelievable performance in this little-known horror movie that everybody should see. 
You know, Chuck Connors did that too. He he did a, several horror movies. He did Tourist Trap. Yeah, and uh, the Mad Bomber and a, a couple. That, that's not so much horror, but it, I guess it is. Um, he did a couple movies like that, and uh, I've seen him, and and he's good in all of them. He's because he's got that gravitas, you know. And these are good actors. They they can they could do anything, you know. Yeah. So God bless Jack Albertson, such a wonderful actor. And again, I feel bad we're taking digs at him in in this podcast, but we're not. We're taking digs at Grandpa Joe, who was a bastard, admittedly, and he should feel bad for what he did to the Bucket family, but. Jack Albertson was unbelievable. I love that guy. Yeah, I, I, I think I think uh, our love for Jack Albertson is clear. I mean, rest in peace. Until he's reanimated by Jack Albertson. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, he could have been. I mean, how do we know? He might be walking around somewhere. He might have died like four years before Poseidon Adventure. He might have been dead in that. We don't know. And, you know, uh, Gary Sherman also points out that it, how, you know, weird it is that Jack Albertson's first role was a miracle on 34th Street. And then he ends his career with Dead and Buried. I mean, it's just it's full circle, I guess. Wow. And with that, I believe we have wrapped up our summary of our our short little sojourn into Potter's Bluff, one of the charm, most charming little fishing villages you're ever going to find. Uh, hopefully we did justice to it. I uh, I hope people will go seek it out now and look for it. Again, it's on Shutter. It's easy to find. It's really not that unpleasant. The eyeball scene accepted. Other than that, it's a pretty tame little horror movie, I would say, other than the implications, as they say. I would actually say this might actually be a good movie for people who aren't sure about horror. Like, uh, um kind of like the changeling that kind of it's a similar tone to it obviously gorier but um i i would i would recommend this for people uh who aren't sure especially if they want to watch old horror Mm -hmm. um because it just this movie just has a certain i don't know gravitas to it and the way it's shot and everything the way it looks and um i i'm always looking for horror movies like this with this kind of vibe and um i i really think this is a special one yeah, it's just got a feeling. There's a feeling about this movie. You just, you know what Potter's Bluff smells like. You know what it looks like. You can just tell this place. It's a little off. It's a little evil. And again, it's more creepy than it is downright scary. And that the, again, I, I will always take a movie that I'll watch and think about for a while and rethink about it for a while and go, man, that was creepier than I thought. Just movies that stick in your head to me are way more, you know, uh, admirable than one that just hits you with jump scares that you forget five minutes after it's over. Like, you don't forget Dead and Buried, and that's the highest compliment I can give. This one has a ton of atmosphere, has a lot of people with a pedigree in it, and uh, it really gets under your skin. Like, I, even from that first time I saw it at the Arrow Horathon, I, I just never forgot it, you know? Yeah. And also, if you ever wanted to see Jam- Grandpa Joe get shot, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Look at me. <laughs> Good day, sir. That would have been great if Dan had a sheriff had said that after he shot him. I said good day. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, anything else you want to add before we sign off? I know this is like a two-hour podcast, which shocks me because I don't think there was two hours worth of material here. But anything else you want to add? <laughs> uh, no, I think we had we hit everything. Uh, yeah. 
No, I'm I'm good. <laughs> okay. Well, once again, thank you for joining me, and uh, I just want to wish everyone happy Halloween. I uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. Really, go seek out this movie. This could not deserve more love. It's it should be right up there with like the thing, the fog, Halloween, night, Nightmare on Elm Street. It's right there in that same era, and it should be just as well known, and it just isn't. Anyway, again, my name is Mario Lanza. This is Staff Picks. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until next time, I'll be out there searching for more movies that deserve more love, and I'll try to find somebody interesting to come on and talk about them. I'll talk to you guys later. Stay away from Potter's Bluff. Bye. You stole fizzy lifting drinks. You bumped into the ceiling, which now has to be washed and sterilized, so you get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.